What's up, guys? Before we get going today, just want to remind you, podcast brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, I'm glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website. The inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry, along with years of gambling wisdom and experience. You need to go check these guys out. They just finished up a NASCAR promo. For those of you new to the show, I know there's some degenerate gamblers on the message board, uh, just making a safe assumption in that regard. You need to go check these guys at Skybox out. They just finished up a NASCAR promo where you got a month's worth of free picks so if you subscribe to the NASCAR monthly package, you got entered into a chance to win a thousand bucks cash if they guessed the race of the winner of the Coca-Cola 600 race correctly. They didn't get the winner right, but they profited it if you played the whole sheet. If you played a hundred bucks per unit, you profited nine hundred dollars. So I know they got Rob and the guys over there maybe still a little bit bitter about not picking the race right, but if they made you money. What do they? Uh, what do they actually have to apologize for? But you need to go check these guys out. They've got baseball basketball you can get the weekly golf tournament picks their charles schwab picks last weekend was up on the site they've got picks headed this weekend you can do month-long packages i would just recommend doing the year-long all sports pass it's going to pay itself back and then some but whatever your sport is you can buy their package for a month a week a season a year basically what i'm getting at is whatever kind of wagering you're into they have a package that's going to fit your price range and if you use the promo code rippy you'll get 20 percent off any purchase you make at skyboxsportspicks.com. I promise you, you need to go check these guys out. If you're in a NASCAR by any chance, you're literally just pissing away free money, not going with these guys. They're up 23 units a couple weeks ago, had a profitable weekend at uh, the Coca-Cola 600, despite not picking the winner right. Their NASCAR guy's awesome. If you want to go back and listen to that podcast, but check them out, particularly with football season in full swing. Why not get a little taste this summer on the NBA playoffs, MLB, see how much money they make you, and then just roll that into your bankroll in the football season. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Podcast also brought to you by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Craig tweaked the deal for the Rippy Rights newsletter subscribers. So if you're a Rippy Rights newsletter subscriber, you not only get a 10-ounce a 16-ounce prime strip for 10 bucks. You also get $5 off any sort of frozen sausage, $2 off any fish in the fridge, and any second or third 16-ounce prime strip you get is 15 bucks. It's hard to beat that. So if you scrub, subscribe to the Rippy Rights newsletter, that is free meats and uh, five newsletters a week. You decide which one is better. Probably the former, but you're getting the latter anyway. Check them out, LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Today, we've got Richard Cross on the pod, my old radio cohort, wide-ranging discussion on uh, kind of navigating this last year from a sports media and radio show landscape through this pandemic, things going back to normal, what's next up for him on the broadcast front. Got in some basketball and baseball again. Really think of it as like a 2020-2021 sports season in review for both Ole Miss and State with uh, kind of the COVID timeline mapped out and how what goes into a uh, – what goes into planning a show and reminiscing on some pretty insore uh, sports talk radio uh, jokes and segments. So really enjoyed the conversation. Been trying to get Richard on for a couple weeks and just kind of kept missing each other. And then it finally worked out. So I'm glad we did that. And then we will go to grill corner with Greg after that. Let's go. Rippy writes with Brian Scott. Rippy. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall and then writing down every thought you have. 
All right, we now welcome on the uh, the most famous guest in the history of this podcast. Asked for an autograph beforehand, uh, Richard Cross, my old radio cohort. It's uh, so we did the uh, this is the radio trifecta. I had Haydad on the state weekend, Borky on right before that when I first started this deal. Now we've completed it. What's up, my man? I, I can't do an autograph, but I'll do like a, an NFT. I'll do a digital NFT for you. Those Limited are uh, edition, initial. I don't even know what an NFT is, but uh, apparently that's really valuable. So, yeah, someone could spend an hour explaining that to me. To me, NFT and like Dogecoin or whatever they call it these days are the same thing. You could spend an hour explaining that to me, and I would still have no idea what it is. But we've kicked the time. Do you own any Dogecoin? Doge, are you into Dogecoin? Uh, not really, but I, do you own any of it? No, absolutely not. I I I I own uh I own what's called a checking account. And a and a uh, checking account and a savings account. So I'm pretty basic. Uh, the company I work for now, I'm a grease salesman. Not to brag, pretty important. Uh, our stock sells for some stuff. Got some stock in that. That's really about it. Uh, so are you into crypto? There you go. You crypto guy? Uh, I, I played around with it a little bit. Okay. Well, maybe you can explain that to me by the end of this podcast. Yeah, it, it, it has not been a good month or so in the uh, stock market world. So, 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 yeah, so like two fronts. I mean, like I'm supposed to be older and responsible and have kids and savings accounts for college and retirement and all that good stuff. So that stuff is over there. And then like I got a Robin Hood account just to play with and it has not done very well in the last month or six weeks. I don't know if you've been following the market or not, but it seems like the steady downward trend is not ideal. So I actually, it's funny you say that because I kind of got into the whole Robin Hood. I think I had Acorn or something for a little bit. I tried to follow it and yeah. I probably lost like 30 bucks in it. And I was like, the hell with this. I could find dumber ways to lose my money in this. But I had a couple, the few of the people I met out here got really into the whole GameStop deal. And like yeah. when that was at its peak, uh, we had like a cookout or something. One of them had at his house and like every all of a sudden we're standing around the grill and like three guys admitted to having like, 4k in uh <laughs> in game no. stock by the end of a friday and i was like yeah i, I don't really i'm not at that level yet so I, I i'm not a day trader for uh per se which i've heard is basically yeah. just organized gambling yeah i mean it's like business gambling as opposed to sports gambling yeah, yeah that, when when everything that i hold at the end of the day is in red like every single thing it's not a great day it's okay it's not, it's, it's, just, it's just kind of a little play thing on the side anyway. So that was Stock Corner. But we've, uh, we've, we've been kicking this idea around for a while. Uh, now that I'm a corporate sellout, my schedule's been a little more rigid than the whole three to, three to six radio grind. But it's been a while. You guys are back kicking on radio. You've had sports to deal with. Um, how has the radio life been over the last – you know, nine months or so. I guess we'll start there because, you know, it was funny talking to Borky um, about a couple of months ago. You know, there's a time, I imagine, and I was out of it by that point, but you had to be kind of nervous like early August. You know, there was that, I don't want to call it Black Monday like the old Miss Baseball Series, but you remember that Monday where, or that weekend where it seemed pretty dire that college football was going to happen. Take me from that point until what you guys are doing now. So, ooh. I had almost blocked that day out of my mind. So before we got to that Monday, 
the, the Friday before that, I had, I had been pretty optimistic um, that we were going to figure out a way to get it done one way or the other. And I have a friend that is pretty high up in college athletics and we finished up the show on Friday. I was in a pretty good mood leaving the studio and, you know, feeling kind of good. And we were chit-chatting on my, you know, seven-minute drive from the, the radio station to the house. And I was like, what's up? You don't sound great. He's like, I don't know if it's going to happen. I was like, I'm sorry, what? He's like, man, they've just there's a lot going against us. I said, I don't mean to be like, so get to the point. Like, give me odds. Like, like, give me a percentage yes versus no. He's like, I think 30, 70 best case right now. And I was like, okay, that's not good. And, and this was a guy who'd been pretty optimistic along the way, and but yeah, carefully, cautiously optimistic. And, and so, yeah, I mean, to your point, I'm thinking, okay, we need to have a college football season. And it's selfish because, you know, my livelihood is tied into it. My wife owns a women's boutique on the square, and so her livelihood is tied into it. What else can I do to feed my family? You know, what, what, what are the things that are out there? So, yeah, those thoughts were, were fleeting, and then the following Monday felt really, really dire. So I felt pretty good going off the, the air on that Friday afternoon. And I, I, what was that, June? Like mid-June-ish? Um, the weekend I'm talking about is August. The early August weekend where the Big Ten and the Pac-12 basically just canceled shit and the, ACC, the SEC, ACC held the line. Yeah. So, so I'm going back farther than that. Okay. okay. There, there, there was like a, a mid-late June, Friday, Monday. And it didn't feel good. Okay. But hold on now. You got me so – Rippy, I've worked so hard to leave all this in the rearview mirror. I'm just celebrating today and how happy and giddy we all should be that we have sports again. I guess you are talking about the right time. So, yeah, it was that Friday. I'm, I'm sorry. So, that was August? Yeah, so I don't blame you. That- all this shit's a blur. And, like, I – no, no, no uh, – <laughs> I don't blame you for not wanting to revisit it. But, yeah, so that's early August, right, to where you get the whole report. So, basically, the guy you're talking to, I imagine most of that had to be back in the whole mitocartosis thing that kind of ended up having a pretty big shockwave yeah. and ended up kind of being crap. That was kind of what I was getting. You know what? I had, I had completely forgotten that we were basically a month from the start of the season when that happened. So, yeah, it didn't look great it, because we had, we had remained fairly optimistic throughout the course of the summer, and then you're a month out, and it's like, whoa, whoa. And then we got to Monday, and the Big Ten made its announcement. And the Pac-12 was – I mean, like, all the Pac-12 was, do, was like, standing out there hoping somebody else would speak up so they didn't have to. And then the second somebody else spoke up, they were like, yeah, us two, us two, we're out, we're out. <laughs> um, and, I mean, look, that here's the thing, though. I mean, the SEC gets a lot of credit because they, they kind of stood there, but they needed somebody to be with them. And the Big 12 was the first to say, yeah, we're, 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 we're going to wait. And, and to me, that was the thing that was always important. The SEC didn't initially say, oh, no, we're playing. They said, we don't have to make the decision yet. And I thought that was really important. And the Big 12 was like, yeah, it's cool. We'll wait a little bit. And then the ACC, you know, whether pressed or otherwise, kind of said, yeah, we're willing to wait a little while longer. 
and then they just pushed everything back and things got a little bit better. And I mean, think about how remarkable it is that, that we made it through that football season. Now there were plenty of hiccups and, you know, week by week, it was, what did it average out to about 20% of the games on a weekly basis, 20 to 30% of the games on a weekly basis got canceled. Um, but what all but one SEC game ended up being played or three or whatever the number was. It was basically played everything. And then we made it through basketball. And then we, you know, made it through baseball with almost without a hiccup. It's been remarkable. And now we're about to roll into a weekend with packed stadiums all over the country except in Oregon. No, you're exactly right. And, like, the reason I asked that was talking to Borky a while back, you know, when we were still doing radio and all that, when this first happened, you remember that day we had the – we had kind of a conference call together, and we were like, okay, we have to come up with content ideas because there could be a couple months where we don't have sports here. And, boy, was that the understatement of the century, right? We were like, all right, let's try to make it through the next month and a half. And that, to me, at that point, like, is kind of when it got real for me to where it was like – obviously, I knew the pandemic was serious at that point, but I was like, wow, like, we're coming up with content ideas to how to fill a three-hour radio show without sports. You guys had made it to what you thought I thought, you know, would be the finish line. And then that weekend, you're probably sitting there thinking like, holy shit, like if this doesn't actually happen, like I don't really know what's going to happen. And I figured it's probably easier to look back now on it, obviously having had sports and all that. But like, you know, given that meeting that we well, had. Well, time out for a second. First of all, I mean, we're like talking around the elephant in the room thing. It sucked losing you. It, it, it absolutely did. And I'm telling you, I, I am not making this up. How long has it been is it, has it been over a year? Right out of year, off? I guess. I mean, we're talking a year, like, I guess, like, six, seven days from now from this recording, yeah. Okay. So, it's been a full year. And at least once a week, and for the first six months, multiple times a day, hey, where's Rippy? What happened to Rippy? When's R- Rippy coming back? I miss Rippy. And so, we, we went through this journey together where you went from, like, no radio – and you just kind of stuck to the I'm going to be me thing. And it was this dry, sarcastic, smart, witty sense of humor. And I think it took a while. And not everybody liked it, but it took a while. But it, like, created this – it's like you got your hooks into people and then, then they were pissed when you were gone. Um, but it was fun. And I still um, – I mean, you, you and I have talked about it. You know that there's – that, that was so far beyond my control, but uh, I, I really hated that it ended the way it did. I think you're in a great corporate shill position now. Uh, you are in a place where I'm sure you're about to get engaged and be walking down the aisle before we know it. Um, wait, was I not supposed to go there? No, I appreciate you putting words in my mouth. You know, I'm going to send you a business card in the mail. But if we're getting to that, yes, I do miss radio. I, I and In all seriousness, like I, I very much benefited from – kind of sitting beside someone that actually knew what the hell they were doing, right? Because when I was walking to Great American Ballpark that day and you pitched me the idea of the radio thing, I was like, well, I don't know jack shit about radio. Like, I, I couldn't do this. And then it kind of just slowly <laughs> caught on. And I was like, okay, I kind of got the hang of this. And, of course, like, that was in no one's control, right? Like, I mean, look, if, if Steve Davenport could have predicted a pandemic, then, like, you know, what, maybe he could have predicted something awesome earlier, right? That was out of, outside of everyone's control. And I miss it every day, right? Like, I, I enjoyed hanging out with you guys on the radio every day. But I was just, like, more getting at the fact that I just found it very impressive that we were able to get to where we did while I was still there with no sports. You guys carried yeah. for more two months. 
and you think you're at the finish line and then all of a sudden you know for a brief two days you're like holy crap we might have like four more months of this like i'm just curious from like a content planning point like what is that like in my like i just couldn't imagine putting myself in those shoes you know, it was like there were there were layers of it, right? I mean, so it was the initial, oh, gosh, there's lots of news to talk about. And we kind of turned into uh, – let me back up for a second. I'm, I'm pretty competitive, one, and I'm a news junkie and a political junkie on top of kind of loving sports and that kind of being my passion. And so I felt like maybe and, – and I don't mean this to sound – I don't care what it sounds like there are a lot of guys out there doing sports talk radio who's, you know, once it gets past balls and strikes and, you know, top of the ninth and fourth quarter, I don't know what we're going to talk about. Oh, and, and they were the ones that were complaining. Oh, how can you do sports? There's nothing to talk about. Well, you, you figure out what's interesting and what's compelling and what's, uh, what, what's everybody else talking about. And, and we tried to kind of do that, but there were like these cycles. So it was news. And then we're like, okay, well, we're a South Korean baseball show. And we had fun with that for a little while with the Doosan Bears, which was the team that you, you picked because hat, they right? were awful. I bought a Doosan Bears hat. <laughs> they finished second. Whichever team you picked, they went like eight and 112. I'm convinced they would have been a 100-win team had I not picked them. Who was it? It was the somebody Eagles. Like the something I would have had trouble pronouncing. Hanwha, I was thinking like highway or Hanwha, and I'm not trying to be insensitive. I just don't remember the name of the team. Uh, but yeah, they were really, really terrible. You didn't buy a hat though. Um, but yeah. no, so I mean, so we went through that. And, and, but, but Rippy, then like news started happening and, and sports news started happening and some of it was pandemic related and some of it wasn't. And there were days of hope and there were days of frustration. And then there were days of making tons and tons and tons of fun and not, I mean, I, I know you're under the MPW digital umbrella, not to be as aggressive as Neil was with some of his thoughts <laughs> along the way, but I mean, we, we made fun of some of the stuff that was out there. And as we got closer to the start of football season, uh, we became a, a little more pro open things up, pro bring people back. Uh, it was clear that the world was not coming to an end. It was obviously the, the pandemic, the, the virus was horrific and it was so sad for so many people but shutting down the entire world and an economic system also was really really bad for people and it just had to get back going and then it felt like we started getting a little momentum and look I mean you know feel however you want to politically uh, about the governor of Mississippi the state of Mississippi our elected officials whatnot man they've been leaders on this deal and they might not have gotten the same credit that that Abbott has gotten, Governor Abbott's gotten in Texas, or Governor DeSantis has gotten in Florida. But, but Tate Reeves was early on this. And what was it? I was talking about something a second ago. The SEC, they needed a partner, right? They needed somebody to be with them. Well, Texas and Florida needed somebody to be with them. Or, or, or Mississippi needed somebody to be with them. And it all kind of happened at about the same time. So I don't know. I'm rambling. I don't even know what we're talking about. No, it makes sense, right? Like, it's the fact that – I mean, it's the same thing, right? Like, I mean, the SEC needed a partner, right? If the Big 12 and the ACC bails with the Big 10 and the Pac-12 that day, you probably don't have college football season, and this industry probably looks something almost unrecognizable, right? Like, to me, that's almost an undercovered story. If common sense doesn't prevail in that sense, 
what in the world is the industry that you work in that I'm now kind of sticking one toe back in? You know, what in the hell does that even look like? And so I guess I'll transition into that. I think you have an interesting position because I think part of what – no, go ahead. If you have a thought, go ahead. Well, no, I, I, the only thing I was going to say was, you know, March 1st was kind of when Mississippi reopened. Uh, no, well, that's not fair. Mississippi reopened a long time ago. But March 1st was when the governor said, you know what, we're done. Everybody's open. There are no more restrictions. There are no mask mandates. Uh, you know, go to sporting events, go to family reunions, go to weddings. Mississippi is open for business. And you know what Mississippi's been doing for the last three months? It has been kicking ass. The city of Oxford has been. I mean, I'm looking at it from a personal standpoint, and I'm not, like this is not a bragging thing, but my wife's business that was – just hanging on for dear life. And I'm so proud of the job that she did to hang on. March, April, May, consecutively, all-time record months. Not compared to last year. People were so ready to open and go and be and do. And it's like, yeah, we got weddings again and orientations happening and spring visits and all the stuff that makes a college town economy go and and that matters restaurants and businesses and hotels and the real estate industry and everything golf courses have been too crowded lately but it's okay we can get past that so we, we, get, we get into the season and i think you have an interesting vantage point um one of the things uh, I was talking to Borky about like a month and a half ago. It's like, uh, not to make your head any larger than that painting behind you, but I think mm -hmm. the fact that you're kind of versatile and you do a lot of different things, particularly from a broadcasting standpoint, is not something easy to do. And one of the things you do is obviously the sideline part of it. So when you get into a football season and the pandemic part of it, how is your like sideline job different? Obviously, you know, not that many people in the stands thing was weird. Like obviously the one, one of the, perks of like becoming a corporate shill and having a business card and stuff. And, you know, I did everything but buy a Prius was not working weekends and coming back for, for football <laughs> games. And I didn't even get to do that. So what were Saturdays like in the fall from your vantage point, working the sideline in half empty stadiums at best? Have you thought about buying a Prius? Not, not yet, but you, the, the gas mileage should not be underrated, bro. The, uh, they got great gas mileage. Um, great room for car seats. I think that's what I'm supposed to say. I'll ask my boss in the morning. What about a Tesla? That's what the rich people drive at my company. If you work on the fourth floor, you get a Tesla. Is it like the get in the door price on a Tesla, like 30 grand? I don't know. We uh, we sell, look, our stock sells at 70, $70 a share, man. We, we, we're a $3.2 billion revenue company. Like, I, you know. We're the world's largest recyclers, is what I'm supposed to say. Greenest company on the globe. That's trademarked by Darling Green. It's not to be used by anyone else. Did you write that ad copy? Yes, I did. Oh, boy. Along with the Wendy's uh, ad I did today. The Wendy's ad? Oh, yeah. I, 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 uh, I try to buy grease from fast food chains. I haven't told you what I've done, had you, since I left. No. So I work for this company that recycles used cooking oil. Do you know you can turn okay. their used cooking oil into useful stuff? Like, you can make cars go with it, right? Yeah, we turn it into renewable diesel. So we take used cooking oil from restaurants. Wait, is that like BioWilly? You remember that? The, the gas stations from a few years ago that had BioWilly diesel, they just kind of co-opted Willie Nelson's face on the billboard. Yeah, so we're way past that. We now make our own renewable diesel, which reduces okay. carbon emissions. I am single-handedly 
solving climate change. Not to brag, not a big deal. I'm just saying, by myself, solving climate change. Making two- You really are a Bernie, bro. Yeah, pretty much that. My radio stick uh, ended up turning, coming to life. I don't even know where I'm going with this. Before we're going off the rails, sideline gig. How is it this fall? I'll send you the business card later. Um, You know, it was – so a couple of thoughts. One, football season was better than I thought it was going to be. The whole 25% capacity thing, sans Vanderbilt, it felt more normal, way more normal than basketball did. Basketball was terrible. I thought it was terrible. I thought it was terrible in person. I thought it was terrible on television. Like the product was because I think college basketball so heavily depends on fans and the environment. And you might say, well, Richard, you lose the pomp and circumstance when you don't have 60,000 or a hundred thousand people in a football stadium, whatever the capacity is. I would agree with that, but 25% of 60,000 is, and I'm using round numbers, you know, 13 to 17,000, 18,000, depending on the game and depending on how they wanted to inflate it, and it didn't feel dead. Like, it didn't feel completely dead and empty. Um, you know, you did have cheerleaders in the stadium, and you had the band, and even though they were all socially distanced six feet apart, you know, with their tubas, with only half of them there, because I don't know why. I, I st- that's the one thing. I, I'm, like, I'm just going to keep sidelining on here. I never understood why you didn't put the p- full band at the game. Like, this is the one group that you could take an entire section of the stadium and fill them out six at a time and just let them suck and blow until their heart is content as loud as they can. And they didn't do it. They're like, ah, we're going to do pet man. We're going to put 70 of them up there. Well, why not put 300 of them up there? It's not like you don't have space to do it. Anyway, uh, soapbox off. So, on the field, it was fine. Um, There were a couple of places that were, like, I mean – serious about their COVID restriction. Vanderbilt, top list. I counted. There were 57 people in the stands. Really? 57. 57. Well, it's a shame they should have opened that thing back up and gotten to 90. Um, Well, I mean, here's the thing. There were like 200 security people in there, and so there were like four that were assigned to watch me. Like I was doing the pregame show from the field, like sitting on a bench, and somebody was like, you can't be there. I was like, I'm working. I don't care what you're doing. You can't be there. What are you doing? Clearly the people from Ole Miss don't care that I'm here. Right. Just go away. But, but I mean, so, so Vanderbilt was weird, and the bowl game was weird at the end because they were dealing with NFL protocols. Home games were great. You knew the people. I kind of was getting tested anyway because of – some ESPN stuff that was still happening at the time. So um, football season wasn't bad. And it was a fun team to be on the field with as well. Fewer people on the sidelines was awesome. It made my job so easy to move around as well. Right. And it's funny you mentioned the non-uniformity in it because living out here, um, you know, kind of one of the first big things I got to do, you know, even through a snowpocalypse was so I live like a mile from uh, the Texas Rangers Globe Life Field or whatever. So I had a bunch of friends come in town. How awesome is that venue? Oh, man, it's amazing. And I had a bunch of friends come in town. I know you were there. You had your family there that weekend, right? Family was supposed to come, and then the whole snow and ice thing kind of derailed that. It was I, I came and did radio all that weekend. Talk about common sense prevailing. Credit to those people for just delaying it a day instead of nixing the whole thing. No doubt. 
I mean, right, right. God, so, do you know how heartbreaking that would have? That do you know how that would have changed the course of the baseball season? Yes, I could not agree more. Could not agree more. I mean, that showcase was amazing, and that showcase ended up kind of being pretty consequential to setting the tone for the rest of the baseball season. I could not agree more. But what I was getting at with that was it was kind of funny. So I had a buddy come in, one of my best friends from college, came in from California, and he was bummed out we couldn't go to the game Friday. But whatever, we made the best of it, went to the Saturday and Sunday game. But you were there. It was pretty much normal, right? I mean, everyone's being responsible and doing it. Dude, there there were 17,000 people at a college baseball game. Yes, it was normal. I would have bet it was almost more than that. And that was kind of probably what I was getting at. How many people do you think would have been there? No COVID. If you want evidence of college baseball growing, how many people do you think would have been there? No COVID and no snowpocalypse. That place would have been packed to the gills. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that you were ever getting to a point where there were going to be like legit forty thousand people there. I would have but been. I, th- I was. I would say I'd go in like the twenty-four to twenty-eight thousand range. I mean, Texas and Arkansas, and what would have originally been Saturday night, there probably would have been thirty thousand people in there. For sure. Uh, you know, it's funny. I, the without question, the biggest fan bases that were there were Ole Miss and Mississippi State. Yeah, absolutely was. And honestly, uh, some part of that has to be like where Texas and Arkansas can drive to where if you're Ole Miss and State person, you're like, all right, I already bought this flight to help with this. We're making this happen. Like almost the irony in that. But what I was getting at by bringing that up was the non- I got a sidebar for you on this also when you're done. Yeah, go ahead. I was just saying the non-uniformity in sports was crazy because I did that, right? So we had a good time that weekend. Sure. I went to a Stars game like less than two weeks later. And if you so much as – held your mask down below your chin a few seconds after sipping a beer, you had an usher on your ass. And I just thought it was funny, the non-uniformity to all of it. And I'm not necessarily like bashing on one side or other. It just, it made the whole world crazy. And it kind of made the whole sports landscape crazy. It's like, how does this make any sense? I just sat amongst 18,000 people two weeks ago. And, you know, I know I got some guy MFing me because I haven't, you know, sipped my tall boy in five minutes and my mask is down. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've, I've seen some new, new stories even in the last week or two that tell me that the uh, Texas Rangers are not the wokest professional sports franchise in the history of the world. There's and so, so, is that – what was that? There's Neanderthals. Like, think about me. I, you know, Biden calls Mississippians and Texans Neanderthals, and where did I come from and where I am now? What does that make me? Neanderthal square. Fair enough. Um. Uh, all right, can I throw a wild college baseball idea at you? Go ahead. Everything college baseball has branded the road to Omaha. I, I know it's this sacred place in middle America, and County Crows had a song about it and whatever else. Yeah. Omaha, somewhere in middle America. And I like Omaha a lot. But that ballpark um, bastardizes the game that we play the entire season. It's, it's nice, but there's nothing special about TD Ameritrade. It's just relatively new and nice, and you can put 24,000 people in there. So, so, yeah, that's, that's what it is. So, I am downstairs doing a pregame interview with Mike Bianco. I'm standing there talking to Mike Clement, and this would be on Saturday. Oh, this was on the third base side. The game in front of it was ending. I was like, I got a crazy idea. He said, what's that? I said, we play the College World Series here. He's like, no way. I was like, oh, hear me out. Hear me out. So, Omaha is hard to get to. It's expensive to get to. 
Hotels are scarce. The ballpark is just okay, and it's a completely different in ballpark. It's a different game than you play the entire season. Why are we crowning a national champion in a ballpark that's like the polo grounds as opposed to like every other college baseball stadium in America? And I'm just looking around this place. It's just like, I was like, you know, night games, open the roof or don't. You never have another rain out. ESPN's going to love it. you got room for everything you need. Rangers roll out the red carpet, whatever. He's like, yeah, I don't know. So I talked to him the next day. He's like, I mentioned what you said to laugh, Carl Lafferty. And he was like, no shot. And that was before the first game. So we're having this conversation after the before the second game. And he's like, hey, laugh came back up to me. He's like, Richard might not be as crazy as we thought. It's just a great building. You can do corporate hospitality. You can do the souvenirs. You can do the concessions. You could double the attendance if you wanted to. Dallas-Fort Worth is so easy to get in and out of. Your American Airlines experience is notwithstanding. It's driving distance, you know, for a ton of people if they want to do it. Am I crazy? No, not at all. And I've actually got another American Airlines experience that I'll be experiencing by the time this podcast drops that I'll drop on the show later. Really love those people over there. No, I don't hate that idea at all. And it, it kind of makes me think about you remember, we, we talked about this a couple of times, we, you and I, and I think anyone, honestly, anyone that's ever actually been to the tournament, huge proponents of Hoover, right? Love that mm-hmm. place. Taylor made for that Love tournament it. and should never move out of there. But do you remember that kind of movement that was kind of happening late 2018, early 2019? It was like, oh, they should move this to Nashville. They should move this to Memphis. And it's like, have you ever been to AutoZone Park? Could you explain to me yeah. how you're going to fit parking and how you're going to fit everything else into the Sounds Park in Nashville? It's a nice ballpark and media and all that. Like, everyone that kind of was advocating for the SEC tournament out of Hoover, I could guarantee you has never been to Hoover or never caught the full experience. That place should never move out of there. And I guess I say that to say probably the more educated and more well-guided argument is why in the world are you playing the College World Series in the middle of Nebraska? Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm with you on Hoover. I mean, I, I was for a while in the camp of maybe we should explore going somewhere else. And I thought, I mean, yeah, you could, like, create an RV park in some of those lots where you park outside Grizzlies games in downtown Memphis. And then I thought more about that. Thought, yeah, maybe that's not the best plan. Maybe not the best idea. How are you putting um, media in that press box? Yeah, it's terrible. I mean, you'd have to come up with some sort of auxiliary setup. But there's an auxiliary setup in Hoover as well. I mean – there's enough space in there, and it's a cool ballpark. I mean, if you're just talking about the ballpark itself, be a great spot for a baseball tournament. But for everything that goes with it, yeah, no shot. And look, I mean, it's not a not. I mean, Omaha does an unbelievable job. They're so incredibly welcoming. And I'm not necessarily suggesting moving it. I'm just saying you could. And for all those people who are like, oh, Omaha, Omaha, oh, you'd just be sacrilege to think about it going anywhere other than Omaha. Well, would it? I mean, it might even be better, especially if you're talking about growing the game, which a lot of people give lip service to. I'm not sure how many people really want that. Yeah, I agree. I don't hate that idea at all. And it's not something I've necessarily thought about before. That's really interesting you bring that up. I know we're jumping around on a bunch of topics, but let's rewind for a little bit. Okay. So – not to pester you with COVID questions, but at what point – so you get through the football season, and, and I will put it to you this way. As a spectator for the first time and kind of having Saturdays off and being to watch 
being able to watch games like any other, you know, normal asshole that works a nine to five and being able to go to the bar on Saturday and all that. It was very demoralizing. Um, trying to keep up with cancellations and all that in a given week. And I imagine you guys dealt with some of that too, to where I got to the point where I just tuned it out. Whatever games were going to happen on a Saturday, were going to happen. Trying to keep up with what got canceled and what got delayed, it just made me depressed. So I was like, whatever, whatever happens on a Saturday. I say that to say the college football season to me, I'm glad they got through it. It did not feel normal. I felt a lot more sense of normalcy when the SEC started playing the Wednesday, Saturday, Thursday, Saturday, whatever you want to call it, college basketball games without much issue. So from you guys, from a show perspective and a content perspective, I'm just curious, like from the three of y'all back on the show, when did you feel like you got back to normal again in terms of just not having to talk about this COVID deal as much? I mean, it was football. I mean, there's no question. It was football season because, I mean – I'm convinced, Rippy, and, you know, you've been there through a year or two of this. I'm convinced that there's not another radio show in the United States of America that spends more time on college baseball than we do. For sure. And it's because there are three fan bases that care so very much about it, and all three coaches have been great about coming on with us on a regular basis. And, you know, it's just – it's been good. And and I love it, too. I mean, I – and Borky builds the show on a daily basis, but I kind of drive the conversation with the format that we've got set up. And I love college baseball, so we're going to talk about it. Um, but college baseball doesn't generate the interest or the passion that college football does. And once we got to the starting line, and you know, it was funny. So, so you play the first week of games in football season. It was like, yes, we made it. But the goal was never to get to the starting line. Now, it was a temporary goal. You had to get to the starting line. But the goal was, how many can you get in? And it's funny because our, our goal shifted along the way, right? So, so if we get to the starting point in, what was it, mid-September, late September, whenever the first games were played? 28th or whatever it was, yeah. Jeez. Otherwise, we had to wait that long. But you're right. Okay, so 10 games, all conference. We made it to the starting line. And – who, however many played that first weekend. Maybe everybody played. Maybe there were one or two that were banged out. I don't remember. Uh, again, I've kind of blacked some of that out. But that wasn't the goal. And, and so what were our goals? What, what, what was going to be acceptable going into the year? I was like, you know what? If you can play six out of the ten that you've got scheduled, that's going to feel like a win. Right. But then you played your first four without an interruption. It's like, well, yeah. Probably need to get seven or eight of these in. And Ole Miss ends up playing nine of their ten in the regular season. The A&M game obviously didn't happen. They played the gold bowl game for their tenth. And, look, I mean, there were some A&M fans and their athletic director who wanted to get a little cute about, well, Ole Miss can't play now because of COVID. Well, you didn't have your starting quarterback available because of COVID, but you could have played, and you kind of wigged out when Ole Miss was able to play, so just shove it, you know whatever and maybe that guess potentially cost texas a&m being in the playoff so hate it for them potentially that's what happens when you fall upward but i'm just curious like <laughs> <laughs> like you know as as, as normal you're right hey, who are they gonna hire as a baseball coach uh probably i know that i know who they're not hiring i, I can put it to you that way they're uh, gonna hire slosh no, I don't think he takes it. I think uh, 
What? You don't think Sasha? You think Sasha would take the A and M job? Okay. And I think they're gonna pay him almost. And they're gonna pay him almost two million dollars. Fair enough. He's a Sasha is now in my backyard now. Uh, you know, MC's house is about a mile from a TCU stadium. I was just curious from the the standpoint of like, obviously you mentioned football. How often does she make an appearance on the podcast? Uh, the next one would be her first. She does not like that. I tried to ask ask her to do it one time. She's very. Did she come on and talk to me. She'd probably want to talk to you, but she wouldn't want to know that it's on camera or on going to be recorded. Okay. She's like very good at like graphic design type stuff, and is honestly mm-hmm. a pretty good talker. But I can't convince her to get on the air. So we'll get there one day. Yeah. So I was just I, I was just curious from the sense that like yeah you mentioned football season being normal and like them getting through the games, but like. Again, from a fan's perspective, and it's probably different for you guys, I was just demoralized by the fact that you remember you get four or five games in and you talk about how many people State had on the roster. And you remember Ole Miss going to Arkansas thin because of COVID. And that seems like kind of a world ago. But, like, how did you guys navigate Oh, is that why Ole Miss didn't beat Arkansas last year? (laughs) Right. Like, they have thin bodies going to COVID. And I'm just – I don't know. I just – I imagine myself – I guess maybe I I keep asking all these questions because I keep imagining myself – from the radio show standpoint, trying to sit there on a Monday and explain why Ole Miss or State lost said game. And it's like, well, they had 40-something dudes on the sideline. Like, how in the world? Yeah, but it didn't play, but it didn't play out that way. It didn't play out that way. Fair Mississippi enough. State wasn't going to beat Georgia if they had 85 scholarship guys. But they went over there with 48, and they played their tails off for 60 minutes and it was kind of a galvanizing moment for Mississippi State. It was kind of like turned into this us against the world. It didn't mean they were all of a sudden a good football team, but it was pretty cool going for it. I thought there was a great story that came out of that. It's Ole Miss went and they were thin on the roster when they went to Arkansas. Is that when they lost to Arkansas? Or they lose to Arkansas because Matt Corral threw six picks? Oh, that's definitely why they lost. I was just kind of – Yeah, I mean – Wondering from a roster standpoint. But so that was my next. Rippy, I know you think I'm crazy. I'm telling you, football season did not, and, and maybe this is revisionist history now that it's, you know, in the rearview mirror. I don't think you're crazy. It was, it was a strange football asking. season. It was strange, but it did not feel as weird as I thought it was going to feel. I thought 25% capacity was going to be like we're playing in caves instead of stadiums, it didn't feel like that for the most part. And Vanderbilt, but nobody goes to Vanderbilt games anyway. Um, But, you know, I mean, I've been at a regular season game where there were fewer people for an Ole Miss game than showed up for the Ole Miss games last year. I was there when Ole Miss played Northwestern State. I was there for the How about end of Edo's run and the end of Houston Nut. It was bad. Yeah, I was going to say, La Tech the week after Nut got fired. I know you were probably there. Yeah, good lot. 27-7, probably one of the most demoralizing defeats in program history. That's probably a good transition, though, because the last thing I was going to ask before we got into basketball and baseball was, you know, it was interesting being there in, in November of 2019 and December of 2019 – State, you know, Ole Miss had to kind of fire Matt Luke, whatever you want to make of the decision. Keith Carter makes a power move. He hires Lane Kiffin. Whatever you think of Lane Kiffin as a football coach, from a content perspective, it was like, oh, buddy, we've hit the gold mine, right? Then State has the bowl game fiasco, and then they hire Mike Leach. And, again, whatever you think about Mike Leach as a head football coach, kind of a content gold mine. 
And I just feel like, particularly you guys, and, you know, print on a lesser perspective, but from you guys that have to build out a show every day, you were robbed of it a little bit, not having a normal season. Just, I guess this is a dumb question to ask you. You may not know how to answer it. But just your thoughts on, in February of 2020, what you thought the football season would be with Mike Leach and Lane Kiffin leading the two Mississippi programs to what it actually ended up being. Um, that's a good question. So, I'm not trying to be glass half full here, and I'm certainly not trying to, like, strike some chord of nobility, but I don't feel like we were robbed of anything. I feel like if you're like, well, we should have gotten more than that from a, not not from a fan perspective. Fan, Fan, I think, is different. Like, if you cover the teams and you cover the programs or you're in sports media and you're like, oh, we got robbed. There there were so many good storylines and we just didn't have it. You were lazy. Then then you were lazy and you're not good at your job if you're complaining that you didn't have enough to talk about because of all that was going on last year. I I just – and I don't really care how that sounds because there was – maybe more than ever to talk about last year. There were layers upon layers upon layers of stories as it pertained to the teams, as it pertained to the news, as it pertained to the league, as it pertained to government interaction and restrictions that were in place and what the universities were doing and how progressive they were being and how aggressive they were being. There, there was no shortage of storylines last year. Now, was it, Exactly what it could have been. Maybe not, but I mean, Rippy, if you think about the, about the way the Ole Miss football season unfolded last year, I mean, right out of the gate, you got Florida, who's a really good team, and it's a freaking track meet. And if Ole Miss could, like, if you could have played DB that day for Ole Miss That's and just crazy, but yes. taken out Kyle Pitt's knees or something, Almost got, I mean, they don't have to play a lot of defense. They got to play a lick of defense. And they beat Florida. If Ole Miss plays a lick of defense against Alabama, they don't allow Alabama to score, what was it, 11 consecutive possessions? And I think he was like seven of eight or eight of nine in the second half. Then, or maybe it was all eight in the second half. It was something nuts. Then Ole Miss wins against last year's national champions. And I'm not trying to, like, go back and go moral victory. I'm just saying they were that bad defensively. But, I mean, the, the stories were great. So, so you had the, the close against Florida, the close against Alabama, where fans stay around and they cheer lane going off the field, and he goes into the locker room. He's like, what are our fans doing? Like, I mean, thanks, I guess. But we don't need standing ovations for losses. We just lost. We didn't come here to lose. And then they go to Arkansas, and they are horrible. You, you got a guy that outside of two games is a Heisman contender. Even in year one, Corral's numbers were Heisman-like. I mean, if not for Mac Jones and whatnot. Um, I, I don't know. I, I just – I'm just kind of disagreeing with you on the whole we were bereft of storylines. I think there were plenty. 
So I didn't mean to ask that from like a jaded point of view. I, I, I guess I, I asked that kind of like, tell me how you were robbed of it. But I was just mostly curious of just like how you guys handled that. But it, it makes sense the way you explain that too. Because on the flip side of that, well, from the Mississippi State side, like, you know, even not having oh, the season, right? Like State was not nearly as bad of a football team as they started. And you have them starting where they beat the LSU, right? And then they really just look completely and utterly incompetent for almost a month there. And then – you know, they lose guys to COVID and leaving and other injuries and stuff. And then they kind of end up kind of looking like it's almost a scrappy football team for the last half of the football season, right? So, like, I imagine the Ole Miss thing and the Lane Kiffin excitement factor coupled with the fact that where State sucked at the beginning, but by the end of the year, they were actually a pretty scrappy football team. Had to be pretty solid from a content perspective. So I didn't mean like in that, in like a jaded way. I was just curious how you guys manage that from a radio show, because you know, you're not tasked with being on the beat every day. It's a different type of deal trying to build a show. I was just curious how y'all manage that by not having like, I guess the normal hype of the season, because you know, from an outside viewers perspective for the first time, it did feel like a lack of hype, but that doesn't necessarily translate to a lack of interest if that makes sense. yeah yeah i mean there was plenty of interest that, yeah it, it was missing the juice i mean you, sure. you, there's no question about that there there was no juice in the stadiums um again i've said this a couple of times it, it didn't feel as bad as i thought it was going to feel it wasn't as quiet or tame or whatever as, as i thought it was going to be um but it didn't have the juice i mean when you got cheerleaders like that are up on the 30 rows up dancing in the stands I mean, just it, it was different, but yeah, I mean, geez, State beats the crap out of LSU, and then they don't score for six weeks, and then they play Georgia tough in Athens, and then they're scrappy, and yeah, I mean, they weren't a very good football team. They got decent defensively. They may have figured something out at quarterback, and yet going into this season, they've got like a quarterback battle. I mean, it's like Will Rogers is not the, uh, you know, he's going to be the guy. Uh, man, it was a weird year. Which is, you know what's crazy? Like transitioning forward to baseball season. Baseball, like if you watch it on TV, it's been a little bit weird. But in Oxford, it hasn't been weird. Right. It's, it, it was weird watching, you know, Ole Miss go on the road to Tuscaloosa and they're like 1,200 scattered and, you know, if you watched an Arkansas game early in the season, they had, you know, 3,200 in the stands or whatever. Jeez, man. Ole Miss has been full go since the first week of March, the second week of March. And you pretty much missed one series. And that was that was interesting. The, the next question I had before we kind of get into what you've been doing from a broadcast perspective into baseball, here might be the best question of I asked since I've been on the show. How in God's green earth, did y'all get either fan base to be interested in either one of those basketball teams this year? We didn't. I mean, and it was crazy. Wait, were you hoping for more of a response than that? No, me? I, I wasn't. I think that might be the most perfectly succinct way to put it, right? Because, like, Ole Miss ends up really a second half away from actually making the NCAA tournament, right? And State wasn't that far off. But, man, you talk about a shit product. Holy cow. Like, it was just awful to watch both clubs because I made it a point to try to watch both teams and kind of just look at it from an objective perspective. Which program is ahead of who? State's probably got more talent. But, man, Ole Miss has had some misses. And either way, 
That was a tough, tough watch. So I guess just doing on the winter months. Um, baseball preview. State state fans are completely. Oh, I mean, yeah, we started that in like December. Um, state fans bailed on the season and they never got on board. Like there was one point where they won two or three games in a row, and they're like, yeah, maybe, maybe. And then like at the very end, they kind of made an NIT run, and people. The, the whole state bat. I mean, Mississippi State, Humphrey Coliseum used to be one of the most difficult places to play on planet Earth. And then they got really invested in women's basketball, and they said, no, we can't do women's and men's, and men's has disappointed them post-Stansbury. I, I don't know. I think hey, State's got a really good basketball team next year, and if they don't come back next year, they're never coming back. I agree with that. And to their credit, as old as that place may be, when it's full, that place is still intimidating as hell. Dude, I mean, that's a hard wow. place to go get a win. There's no you're question. all low to the floor and everyone's into the game. Like, you know, you talk about everyone needing a new stadium. If you get Humphrey Coliseum jumping, that place is still intimidating as hell to play. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And, you know, they've screwed some things up without – they've configured the students and whatnot. I mean, it is missing some of what the newer setups have got in the SEC, like Auburn and Ole Miss and Florida, where they've got their students right on the floor. And that is a game-changing environment. Look, man, if you wrap students around half the floor and they start coming and they get good, I mean, that is a tough place to play. Um, The the thing with Ole Miss was they made – they played maddeningly frustrating basketball last year. But there were two or three different points where they made a run over the course of two or three games. It was like, hey, maybe, maybe, here they go. And then it just would kind of flop. I think they, I think they had two guys that had two really hot streaks in the season. It was Devontae Shuler, Jarkel Joyner, and then when they kind of realized that, hey, this is a Romello White fellow, he's probably automatic two points if you huh. get nine feet yeah. in the basket, right? But still, at the same time, at the end of games, they still really had no idea who they were or who they were playing through. And in the game's most crucial moments, that ended up costing them. So we get into baseball this year, but before we get to that, so basketball is kind of when, like, you start doing your broadcast schedule and things get busy with you, right? You've got the ESPN gig going on. What has been the – Basketball, baseball schedule like for you, and how has that been altered? And I guess on top of that, how would you like to get that more back to normal in 2022? I'm just curious because, like, right, it's almost a different world we lived in than November than, you know, I mean, hell, even April now. Like, what has that been like for you? I know you've been on some baseball. Um, you were multitasking. You texted me during a couple of broadcasts. Pretty impressive not to flex if you want to flex your guns on the uh, show. No, it wasn't texting. It was Twitter. Yeah, sorry. Responded to you on Twitter. Yeah. yeah. Well, either way, you're. you're I think wasn't that like a Tuesday or Wednesday night midweek game against Allhorn or somebody like that. Look, man, don't sell yourself short. It was a game, and you were on air. But yeah, either way, I've... how is the how is the broadcasting thing gone since? And how do you think it will get back to normal afterward? Like, how many? We'll start with this. How many remotes did you do basketball? Uh so well, okay. So, I don't guess I've talked about this publicly, so we're breaking ground here. So two years ago was my best year with ESPN. Um, I was on an annual contract with them, and I was 
Probably not a coincidence I was sitting next to you. Just saying. Anyway, go ahead. Probably not. Um, I was, I don't know, I did like 30-ish events. And the following year, before the pandemic hit, I was on pace to do about 40 events. Um, I did uh, a lot of, uh, so I was on pace like, I'll just take you behind the curtain completely. Last year was the first year, so COVID year. Okay. Spring of 20 was the first year that in my annual contract with ESPN, I had a regional and a super regional written into the contract. Oh. So the, the 19 season, I was basically doing a regional for baseball every year. Done a couple of Ole Miss ones, one at Hattiesburg, one at Coastal Carolina. And the 19 season was the first year I had done a super regional. I mean, that was like a big deal for me. So it was the Louisville East Carolina region, super regional. It wasn't the best super regional in the history of the world. They played at like 11 a.m. both days, Eastern time. I was back in Oxford by supper on Saturday. Still a super. Like, it was still a super, and it was great, and they were so good to me. And the coolest thing about that, uh, the people from Louisville brought me an engraved Louisville Slugger baseball bat that had, like, Richard Cross, ESPN, play-by-play. Here, I, I'll show it to you. And people are listening to this on uh, – I, I know they're listening to it via podcast, but you and I are doing this via video. Check this out. How cool is that? That is pretty cool. That's their stick up there. It's like, here, here's our wood. Yeah. That is it says uh, 2019 NCAA Division One Baseball Super Regional, Richard Cross, ESPN, play-by-play, stadium, Louisville, Kentucky. So, anyway, but that was really, like really Dan cool. Dan McDonald, future Ole Miss coach, I couldn't read a whole lot of that. Anyway. Yeah, that's exactly what it said. Danny Mack was awesome. Um, so, that, I was not, like, contracted to do that. It was the deal where they said – hey, we like you and Lance Cormier together in the regional. Uh, we're going to use you for a super regional. And I was so fired up. And it went well enough that the next year, that was actually in my contract. And I was on pace to do like 40 events. And then COVID comes crashing down. We have no college baseball. Nobody travels anywhere. We get to the next year. They're not renewing contracts. ESPN was great. They carried out my contract through the end of the year. But they didn't renew it for like another you know, 30, 40, 50 events, whatever it is the next year, right. which was reasonable because we didn't know what football season was going to look like when, when it was time to do that. And so um, I got a, a shorter contract in uh, like November for, for basketball. I ended up doing six basketball games. Um, three of them – say what? How many in person? Two and a half. No, I need to make that so I did a Vanderbilt game in Memorial, zero fans in attendance. They put us in a suite, like one of the – and suite is – I'm using that term loosely. Um, so, there, like, on the – These are the new press box at that place, right? No, it's not all the way up. So, it's, like, at the top of the bottom level, they've got some suites. And we're, like, in the corner. Okay. Wearing masks, separated by 12 feet or whatever it is. So I do that one. It's six, and bro. Then, Fauci. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Um, and then I did a game at State. Okay. 
and it was a little more normal, but it wasn't floor level. It was up on the second level. And then I do an Ole Miss game from the football stadium. Really? Yes. So that's the half. And then I ended up doing three women's games. I did Auburn and Georgia women's basketball on a random Sunday afternoon the day after Ole Miss played in the Outback Bowl. Uh, and that was up from the very top of Auburn Arena. Did you go sideline to Auburn? Yes. I, uh, I flew out the night of the Outback Bowl to Atlanta and then drove to Auburn. You just start giving random assholes in the airport your tie like Jim Nance. That would be, kind of become your thing. <laughs> so, as we get into baseball season, how much baseball did you do this year? Like, how did they handle that? Because, like, right when they're – None for ESPN. I mean, like, that's the, that's the I went from 40 events to six. How is that going to transition to 2022? Have you heard? Like, I'm not asking you to spill any secrets, but I'm just curious. Yeah, Obviously, no you're on their radar. You're trying to get, like, pretty close to what, you know – a regular crew, right? And, like, I'm not asking you to spill anything you can't spill. And I know – I got to give you the other two events, though, that I did. All right, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I did UT Martin against North Alabama women's basketball okay, who good on a you? Monday afternoon at 4 o'clock Central Time. And I did – I know somebody who gambled on that. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> Yeah, but Colin will be back with you later, right? <laughs> uh, maybe it wasn't that. It was it was UT Martin against somebody. It doesn't matter who they played. And then I did a game at Liberty. A oh. women's basketball game on a Saturday afternoon in Lynchburg, Virginia at Liberty. Brand new arena. Really nice facility. And no, I didn't see it. I had like four comments in my head that they're probably all just going to stay there. That's okay. I mean, you don't have to. Feel free. I was just going to ask if they handed out condoms when you got there. Anyway, we'll, we'll cut that out. Um, so <laughs> it's not allowed. Yeah. So we <laughs> so we get into baseball, and obviously Mississippi State and Ole Miss have both have good teams, which is great for the show because, as you mentioned. There's no one that covered college baseball more than Sports Talk Mississippi. I mean, that was there before, before I was there, after I was there. I mean, it's, it's really just part of the niche, right? I mean, you guys get credit for it, and deservedly so. But there's also not another place that cares about it, right? Like, I mean, if you're doing LSU shit, you got the Saints, you got LSU football, all that. There's not three competitive markets is basically what I'm trying to get at that cares about college baseball, which I would argue, along with golf, Mississippi is kind of the college baseball hub of the country. So you get into this year. State's supposed to be good. Ole Miss supposed to be good. It's interesting because this is kind of when I – and I'm kind of rambling here, and I don't know how much time you have, but I just find this interesting from a media perspective. This is There's kind no of clock I, on a podcast, right? What? There's no clock on a podcast? No, no. There, you, to be shocked, you'd be shocked by this. There's no time constraints. There's no hard break. And there's no FCC violations to be had. To where if a certain producer doesn't put his microphone on and you can't hear it and you start saying the F-bomb because the source won't text you back, that could actually go out and be over there and be fine. I'm not blaming anybody. Have you told that story before? I have, but it could have happened to anyone. No, not really. 
Not really. Borky, Borky knows. I told that story when I had Borky on the podcast. I feel like I'm being cryptic. I'm not. Borky knows that that was the case. <laughs> We've laughed about Rippy it. Rippy dropped a big flying F-bomb that went out over the air on Super Talk Mississippi. And Richard, who is supposed to be my experienced radio cohort, who I'm just leaning off of and gaining knowledge off of, just like the honeysuckle on a tree, I said, was that that bad? And you go, never seen that happen before. Not sure. I was like, oh, crap. (laughs) This could be a problem. At least you didn't use the same word a second time. I do think think in like like a slightly fatherly moment, I said, so in the whole broadcast world, Rippy, we treat all microphones as hot microphones. There, <laughs> look, here, here, here's, the, here's the reaction. You gave me the, the truth. Sean, there's no such thing as an unloaded gun talk. Yeah, it, that's kind of what it was. You, you did something that God rest his soul. I, I, I miss him all the time. Stan Sandroni, of all people, never did on the radio. Stan Sandroni had the ability to make a sailor blush and he never committed an FCC violation that I am aware of on live radio. And yet young Brian Scott Rippy, whoo baby. He let it fly. I was like, Forky did, did that go out of the air? He goes, yep. Oh, do you remember what happened that day, though? And so I am convinced this is why I will not die. So when I die in 200, 300 years and they start studying me for shit, do you remember what happened that day? No. Our I remember captain, nothing about it other than you dropping an F-bomb that went out over the air. Will East, our boss, called me after yeah. that and was like, I was like, great, I'm about to get absolutely screwed by this. And Will goes, you got lucky, son. I was like, why? And he was like, well, our Jackson stations got knocked out by a power outage. When you did that, so our biggest market happened to get knocked out when I dropped an F-bomb. And I was like, I don't know what you believe in, but I was like, up here, buddy. I I don't think I knew that. Yes. Will was like, don't worry. You you were – you went like ghost face. I do not get rattled by much. I was rattled. And particularly when I was like, hey, is this that bad? And you go, never seen that happen before? I knew something was probably up. (laughs) We probably had an issue on our hands. (laughs) Before I get myself in too much trouble, we go into baseball season this year. No, I mean, like uh, statute of limitations is up. What are they going to do? I mean, if they find y'all now, hell, find them twice. Um, (laughs) Hit Davenport's pocket. Anyway. Hey, uh, so finishing up the what did I do this year? I did not do a single game on television. That's not true. While I was still under contract for ESPN, it ended like mid-April. And I was hopeful that they were going to extend it again. It didn't happen. Whatever. Um, I did not do a single SEC Network, ESPN2, ESPNU game. did a bunch of games, SEC Network Plus. A ton of Ole Miss games this year. It was so much fun to follow this team. A week after my contract ended and I was not going to do a game, I walked into the stadium for a midweek Tuesday night game against whomever they're playing, Arkansas State or Alcorn State or whoever it was. North Alabama game. It was not the North. 
Say what? Revenge game. Ole Miss had never beaten North Alabama as a D1 program. Just Is that the game that it was? May have been. I'm just saying. So, David Dillard, our producer, goes, hey, by the way, we're going to be on the SEC Network tonight. Oh. I was like, huh? He's like, yeah, the Kentucky game that was supposed to be on the air got rained out, so they're putting our game on the network. So, after I no longer was technically employed by ESPN, I did a game that was on the SEC Network. Uh, but, yeah, so no regional, no super regional this year. Did a bunch of Ole Miss stuff, and hopefully it gets back to more semi-normal next year. I hope that's the case, and we'll see. All right, before we get to baseball, though, I, I, not to inflate your head, you're good at what you're doing. Thank you. You go radio. Very kind of you to say that. Yeah, it is. It is. I'm. I'm nice. It's pretty. You know, people at the office call me. Well, kind. you're not terribly kind, which makes you saying that actually kind. I would disagree. I've been called the Gandhi of the grease uh, industry. Um. So. There must be a lot of jerks in your industry. There's a lot, but you know, hey. So it goes. I would send you my business. Hey, card. how hard is it to like comp- convince people to sell you their used grease? Look, buddy. When I tell people who I work for, they Is think I'm some kind of patron saint. Because they're like, what do you do? And I'm like, I work for a company that takes used cooking oil and turns it into renewable diesel that doesn't pollute the environment. And they're like, holy shit, this guy's Father Teresa. And I'm like, damn right I am. So I'm thinking climate change over here. Do you have I'm- to buy that? Or do they just like say, yes, please come get this so we don't have to dispose of it? That's the beauty of our industry. We pay them to pick up their oil. Okay. It's called business. Hey, I, ch- I-, I changed my lawnmower oil today. Do you guys want to buy it? No, we only do commercial stuff. Personal stuff, you're going to have to take to a composting camp. I'm going to have to check my notes on that. But I'm pretty I don't sure- think you can compost lawnmower oil. You're not supposed to, but just don't tell the government. It's not yeah, good I'm for not groundwater. Say that. Anyway, so... We get into baseball. It would cost you another job. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to get fired from this job that I've just barely had it. But DARPRO Solutions, go check us out on Instagram. We have tens of followers. Um, so, we, <laughs> as we get into baseball season, Ole Miss State's supposed to be good. Obviously, at that point, y'all guys had to, as a radio show, had to be kind of being like, okay, this is kind of where we're going to kind of make our spring back into this deal. What have you thought about this baseball season from an Ole Miss and from a state perspective? We'll start with the Ole Miss perspective because I know you follow this more closely. In my opinion, this has been one of Mike Bianco's best coaching jobs since two absolutely egregious decisions, and that doesn't make one or the other more right, and that doesn't cover it up. But I think he's done a hell of a job. What are your thoughts on this entire season? Have you said enough nice things about him this year to get back on his Christmas card list? I could give that man a kidney. And he would complain about how it was fused. I don't think he hates you as much as you think he hates you. I think he hates me. Why? What, what was the tipping point? There was no tipping point. I've never done anything to that man. It's a complete one-way beat. If you have a one-way problem with somebody, is there a tipping point? I have no problem with Mike Bianco. He does not like me. You didn't believe it, me for a while. And then I showed you that. It, Louisville tape. Is it because you're the only guy that he's actually taller than, and so he, like, gets to bully you? Never thought about that theory. My other theory that I had is I'm one of – And that wasn't a shot. Like, I mean, like – 
Oh, I make short jokes on this podcast all the time. You don't have to. I, 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 I realize I am not tall, if that's what you're getting at. I can't dunk. Did you know that? I did. Okay, sweet. I'm close. We, we got I've never been able to actually dunk. At one point in my life, I was able to grab the rim, and that's maybe a tennis ball. Yeah, it's cool. When I reach my peak, I'm not sure I can grab the bottom of the net right now in the basketball. Well, next time I hit gravity and forty. The first time, next time I hit net will be the first time. So, am I the oldest guest you've had on the podcast? No, I had some guy that's dead. (laughs) No, I'm, I'm. I don't know. You might be. I was just trying to freak you out with that one. Um, how old are you? Forty. I'll be forty-one in November. Yeah, oldest guest. So uh, this is sponsored by AARP. Um, so Not quite there yet. <laughs> I, I I am convinced Mike hates me, but I don't know why though. But why? There's no rhyme or reason to it. I think it might be the short thing. Honestly, I think it was probably some guy I feel like he could pick on. To be honest, I'm not gonna act like I'm some hard hitting journo, but I did ask a lot of strategic questions on my time on the beat. And I don't think he necessarily enjoyed that. And I'm not taking a shot at anyone. Like, like Chase has been on the beat a long time. He has the best relationship with Mike. Best baseball coverage around. But, like, it has rotated so much since. that We're like, Mike, the first three years I was, like, I was around Mike, he didn't treat me like that. But it was almost like the more he knew me, the more he felt like he could treat me like an asshole. So maybe you're right. He doesn't hate me. But, man, he noogies me like some kind of kid he could shove in a locker. Do you think he would give you a swirly if he had the opportunity? Yes, twice. And then if I was like, hey, Mike, I'm drowning, he'd be like, give this kid a third one. So, <laughs> yes, I do, and I wholeheartedly believe that. Uh, putting this back on the rails before this turns into a Mike Bianco Rose session, just thoughts on this uh, 2021 season? Because, like I said, I, I think mine is two – Terrible decisions, Mississippi State and AM. I think this has been one of Mike's best coaching jobs, but you can't discount the other two decisions. How do you guys compartmentalize that on a daily basis? Look, I mean, he's won a gazillion games. He has a, a system that he believes in, and it has worked really, really well. I mean, I sit, I sit down with him before each season, and we do kind of a long-form interview. Just we go until we're done. And he's really talked openly about, I mean, yes, the knock on me is that we have only been to Omaha once. He's like, I, I, there's nobody that's more disappointed about not having been to the College World Series more than me. I'm speaking for Mike Bianco. He, he has said that to me. Um, you know, the, the crazy thing is, and, and I don't know that I'm really answering the, the question. I mean, we're just kind of free-flowing here. Probably his three best teams didn't get there. The 2014 team was not – I mean, what was that? The sixth, seventh, eighth best team out of 20 years that he's had at Ole Miss? I think you were dead on with that. I was about to say I would rank that outside the top five and closer to ten than I would five. Um. I think it's really, really hard to get to the College World Series. But, but honestly, I, I think part of the reason that so many Ole Miss fans get frustrated with Mike Bianco is not because of 
a lack of success because they've had so much success. It's because 90 miles down the road, Mississippi State seems to get to Omaha with relative ease. And, you know, whether that's luck or skill or confidence or, you know, what, whatever it is, uh, you know, the breaks, uh, they've gotten it. And, and ultimately you get measured on whether or not you get to Omaha or not. I have always argued that the, the best measure of a successful baseball program is consistently uh, consistency in which you get to super regions. I think getting out of a super regional and getting to Omaha is a little bit of a crapshoot. Uh, you know, terrible luck against the best team in the country uh, in Texas in 2005. If Drew Stubbs doesn't make an unbelievable diving catch in right center field, you know, where he's parallel to the ground and reaches up, and then Ole Miss is going to Omaha in 05. And if Ole Miss had gone in 05, maybe that team figures out how to win, and they go in 06, and they go in 07. I, I don't we know. the whole damn thing that year, to be honest. You're right. It, you're absolutely – but, I mean, is that that much different than Ole Miss football in 2003 where if they beat LSU, they get to the SEC championship game, they beat a Georgia team they're better than, LSU ends up winning the national championship after going 10-3 and three in, in that season. I mean, Ole Miss arguably would have won a national championship in football in 2003 if not for Eli Manning getting his foot stepped on when he drops back under center on fourth down. You know, whatever. For, for, so, for whatever reason, the breaks have not gone their way. I mean, Evan Button short arms a throw from second, you know, from, from 40 feet away from first base that causes Ole Miss not to go, and Virginia goes. And, and Brian O'Connor has a, a better overall career resume than Mike Pianco does. Look, the, the, the question was about this particular season and the managerial job that, that Mike has done overall. I think it's been a really good year. In a year in which you lose Tim Elko, who I think what he has done post-ACL injury gives even more credence to the fact that he would have been the SEC player of the year. It's inhuman. I've never had an athlete. Look, LeBron James, great guy. Watch any NBA on a given day. No, he's not. Whatever. Exactly. But, like, inhuman. I've never had an athlete make me feel just more inferior than Tim Elko doing what he's doing on one ACL. But continue your thought. Like, that that just amazes me. So, you, you lose Tim Elko. Uh, you know, whether or not you believe Max Trophy was going to be an integral part of the bullpen or not, he's somebody that Ole Miss was going to rely on a bunch in the season. He pitches the opening weekend of the year and doesn't pitch again. Biggest injury then, no one talks about. And, and then you lose, obviously, Gunnar Hoagland. Uh, I mean, I've listened to you and, and Colin talk about, you know, the whole infatuation with Kumar Rock or Jack Leiter. You know, if, if that's the best one-two punch in the country, then almost probably had the second best one-two punch in the country. And you would feel so incredible about Ole Miss's chances of getting to the College World Series this year. They may still get there. And I think they've got a chance to get there. Uh, this year, uh, and, and I guess we'll probably get in. I, I don't know when this is going to air, but maybe we'll get into the regional conversation in a minute. Um, the, the the fact that I, I thought Colin laid it out, or maybe you you even laid this out with Colin the other day. If Ole Miss doesn't lose Gunnar Hoagland, what are they? Eighteen and twelve in the SEC. If Tim Elko, you know, maybe twenty. If Tim Elko stays healthy, they're somewhere between 18 and 20 wins in the SEC. 
and yet they won 18 games in the SEC, which is one of the five best seasons in the SEC for Mike Bianco in his entire tenure. And so to lose a potential SEC player of the year, a potential top five draft pick, and an important piece of the bullpen that probably would have made things easier given the pitching woes that they've had at times this year, it's, I think it's a remarkable job. I, I just think it's been really good. It just can't be – like, I agree. And as much as that guy dislikes me and vice versa, but, like, I, I cannot – I cannot agree more, but it also cannot be overshadowed by the fact that he went with Josh Mowitz in a game that probably would have sealed a national seat against Mississippi State, and the fact that he turned his best pinch hitter and his best bench option into a sack bunt and an intentional walk, and then went on you guys' radio show and admitted that he didn't think they'd walk Tim Elko. I'll give you that one on there. Look, you don't have to incriminate yourself. When he said that, did you just, like, did your jaw drop? How does that work? Well, uh, you know, uh, unlike you, I feel like I have a pretty good relationship with Mike Bianco. And, you know, th- there are people that, that – so, so if you don't listen to Sports Talk Mississippi on a regular basis, for the last three years on Mondays, Scott Berry has joined us at 320, the head coach of Southern Miss – Chris Lamonis has joined us at 420, and Mike Bianco has joined us at 520. Depending on conducting the interview in the middle. Anyway, go ahead. Well, that's been better this year. Chris Chris has been great. I think he's a phenomenal baseball coach and has done a really good job. And um, I asked one question the wrong way one time, and I think it hit him the wrong way, and it took a little while to repair that relationship. But here we are. Okay. Um, But – I think there are people that want to be like, oh, well, you've got to go after Mike Bianco. I'm not going to do that because there's there's a relationship personally. There's a professional relationship. And there's the appreciation that I have for a head baseball coach being willing to say that, yeah, we're, we're going to play a, a, a 16 or 14-week regular season and an SEC tournament and however long the postseason is. And every Monday I'll come on and talk to you about it. And so there are times when I've got to ask difficult questions, but I try to couch them in a way that give – I can't make Mike Bianco answer a question the way you want him to answer it or the way that, you know, Bob and Bogachita wants him to answer it. All I can do is ask the question, and I try to answer a, ask a question in a respectful way. And so the way I approached it with the Texas A&M, I said, man, there's a lot to unpack in, in this third game. Let's walk through – the, the bottom of the seventh inning, top of the eighth inning, where things kind of went crazy. I said – and I started out with the bottom of the seventh. I said, you got a guy, Will Frizzell, who is unconscious this weekend. And at that point had already hit, what, four home runs on the weekend. I said, you've got – what was it? First and – was it bases loaded? It was bases loaded. Yeah, yeah, he slammed it, yes. I said – would you consider walking a guy that hot with the bases loaded to score a run knowing that you're still ahead two runs and you got a chance to get the next guy out and get out of the inning? He's like, so you're saying would I walk a guy with the bases loaded to bring a run in? I don't know that I've ever heard of that before. <laughs> well, I mean, Barry Bonds and, you know, whatever. But I mean, we're not talking about Barry Bonds. We're talking about Will Frizzell, a college baseball player. 
But on that particular weekend, I was listening to the game in my in the car with my wife, and we were driving wherever we were driving. I was like, I know it doesn't make any sense. You got to walk this guy with the bases loaded. That's what I thought. And, and there were a lot of other people that thought that as well. Now, if you walk a guy with the bases loaded and the, the next guy hits a double in the gap that clears the bases, you got beat. Well, okay, you made a strategic decision. It didn't work out. Um, you made the strategic decision not to let that guy beat you. And, and then I said, yeah, so so he gave me the answer. No, he, and he kind of used a lot of words. And he's like, so, so if your question is, did I think about walking in the run? No, I, I didn't. Okay. I asked you a question and you answered it honestly. I'm not going to get mad about what your answer was. I appreciate you answering the question. And then I said, walk me through the, the top of the eighth inning, you know, where you, you pinch it, Elko gets walked and all that good stuff. He walked through the way he saw the eighth inning. People obviously didn't agree with it, didn't agree with the strategy. You guys have talked about the fact that it was, you know, a, a huge blunder. And, and that's fine. And I think he probably would like a redo on that as well. But, again, all I can do is ask a question. And I'm not going to shy away from asking a difficult question just because I think maybe he doesn't want to talk about it. But I'm also not going to be disrespectful in the way I ask it. And I can't control what he says. And, and so from my perspective, I'll ask the question. I'll ask it in a respectful way. If you don't like the answer, that's fine. You can disagree with it. But don't be mad at me because I didn't say, well, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. I'm not going to do that for, for a lot of reasons. No, that makes sense. And look, I don't think anyone's ever blamed him for the seventh part of that inning. It was the eighth, I think, that was probably indefensible. So as you transition to this regional, you got two teams that got a pretty good shot of advancing to a super. I mean, in state, I mean, how they got a <laughs> cakewalkish. Uh, effort to the super regional which like I saw there was a lot of debate about that this week it's like whatever like there's no rhyme or reason to the way the committee does this right you remember how like Cush old Mrs. regional was in 19 I mean that, that Clemson team was not very good and that Illinois team sucked like just kind of enjoy it when you get the good break sure right I mean, Mississippi like, State's an eight a top eight national seed I mean they deserve to have an easier regional than, than the one that Ole Miss got or the one more. that like, Louisiana I, Tech got Exactly. If you're upset, like go look at, I mean, go look at Tennessee, and it's like, how in the world did we get Liberty and Duke? Like, how does that but, work? But, but but look, Ricky, the other piece of this is, I mean, man, just, just go win. Yeah, you're, you're better than the teams in your original. There's a reason you're hosting. There's a reason you're a one seed. Go win. And that was the last one I was going to get to in a year of manager – in a year, in my opinion, for Ole Miss that has been defined by managerial decisions. What did you think of his decision to start Derek Diamond? So a week ago in Hoover, before we saw everything that we saw, I, and, and they announced that, that Doug Nikhazy was going to pitch on Tuesday. There were people that were up in arms about him pitching on Tuesday. I said, I have zero problem with him pitching on Tuesday. It's, it's five days rest instead of six day, or four days rest. He's pitching on a fifth day instead of six days rest, pitching on a seventh day. I, I've talked to enough people that are, are smart baseball people that say, look, Doug McKenzie is as equipped to do this as anybody that you'll find because of his relatively compact delivery. He doesn't appear to put a ton of stress on his arm. 
And I happen to think that Mike Bianco and Carl Lafferty and their trainers uh, know their pitching staff and know their guys better than we as fans or people that cover the team know them. I, I just, I'm, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt on that. And I said, I got no problem with that. But you can't throw Doug McKay in game one of the regional. And, and I know you guys have talked about, with a couple of exceptions, unless your opponent has got a do. Well, Southeast Missouri State has got a do. It put our but, brain in a pretzel, right? Like, I thought the same thing. I thought the Tuesday start was pretty much inconsequential. Okay, if you do it, if you don't, whatever. Like, right? I just thought it was more indicative of his thinking, but you're exactly right. So it's like, well, now you got to figure out what he's going on Friday. And as you mentioned, he's got a dude and he's got it out. So take me through your thoughts from there. Yeah, so, I mean, look, Derek Diamond pitched really well in the SEC tournament. He, he's had – he pitched really well on short – like really short notice against LSU. He's obviously had some moments where he has not been able to limit innings. That's probably been the biggest bugaboo. Derek Diamond's got plenty of good stuff. He's got the fastball that plays. You know, when he comes out – out of the gate in the first inning, he's going to be 94, 95, 96. After that, he's going to settle in. He's going to pitch at 91 to 94 with his fastball. His breaking ball, that, that slider at times is elite. Like, elite, oh, got elite. Like it or not. I mean, he, he's got big league stuff eventually if he continues to develop. So, yeah, I mean, I, I like it. I, I, I like saying to your guy, hey, we trust you. Let's go out and replicate what you did. We need you to throw strikes. We need you to limit. You know, if you give up a run, don't let it turn into three runs. If you give up two runs, don't let it turn into five runs. You know, if you get two outs and you walk a guy, don't walk two guys in a row and then give up a double in the gap. Make your pitches. Let this crowd help you. Let this offense help you. I think Ole Miss is going to be fine. Could it be a situation where Derek Diamond goes out and gives up three runs in the first three innings? And the guy for SEMO shoves for, for six innings? Yeah, it, it, it could be. We've seen that happen before. But I don't fault the decision. And, and, and so, look, to me, to me, the thing is, you know, fans want to react after the fact. And this is not a negative. A negative. Almost has got a, a great baseball fan base. It's not necessarily the smartest baseball fan base. And, and that's not a knock. I, I'm just saying LSU fans. Mississippi State fans, for that matter, really smart baseball fans. Ole Miss fans, I think, in some ways are still learning how to be great, smart baseball fans. But they are unbelievably passionate, and they show up in huge numbers. You, you, you can't be mad at Mike Bianco for having bunting as a part of his philosophy and then eliminating that piece of the philosophy and then getting frustrating, frustrated with him for not bunting against LSU. Yeah. You, 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 can't, you can't have it both ways. You don't get to wait and see what the results are and then see, decide if you're upset with the decision that he made. And so this is a fine decision to make. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. That doesn't mean it was the wrong decision. The, the, the reality is sometimes you're going to make decisions that don't work out, and, and that's okay. You, that goes with the territory. You make a million-plus a year – you're opening yourself to scrutiny, but you make the difficult decisions. They made the decision to go with holding Doug McKenzie for game two. I think they're going to face – I honestly think Southern Miss is going to beat Florida State in, in game one. And they're going to face Walker Powell. And Walker Powell really, really, really good. 
you don't follow Southern Miss baseball on a day-to-day basis, you may not know a lot about Walker Powell. He's great. And not like not like first-round draft pick great, but he is a great college baseball pitcher. And you need your guest, best guy going. One of the things Mike talked about with us this past Monday was, and, and this is something that he had said to us before, and I kind of revisited the topic with him, it's not about going 1-0 and in a regional to get yourself the best advantage. It's about going 2-0. and Who gives you the best chance to beat SEMO and then the best chance to win game two? I think this is the path that gives you the best chance to get to 2-0. I agree, and I actually argued against it on Monday's podcast. I was like, I'd probably start Doug. Um, Timo has a guy. I would probably just not take any chances with it. But the fact that I don't – it's not even that I disagree with Mike Bianco. Like, is it possible to, like, want to do another philosophy and not wholeheartedly disagree with it, right? Like, I can 100% agree with what he's doing without, like, wanting to do the same strategy. Does that make any sense at all? Like, no, it I would, does. I, like, I would have no issue if he had said, Doug McKenzie's going in game one. Okay. I, I, that's fine. And, exactly. and, and the reason why is because the other team's got a dude. And I think the way that he looks the smartest is if Ole Miss gets by SEMO and then it's Doug versus Walker Powell. Like, you, you remember Walker Powell in February of 2019 through seven and two-thirds five, uh, shutout innings at State. Do you remember that? I do. It's shoved. Season opener. Season yeah. opening weekend. Yes. That kid absolutely shoved against them, and he's good. And he, he doesn't – and, and look, if, if Florida State beats Southern Miss – uh, Florida State, and they, they announced on Thursday, I, I don't know when this is running, but on Thursday they announced finally that Parker Messick was going to throw, and Parker Messick's the best pitcher for Florida State. He's got 121 strikeouts and 23 walks on the year in 15 starts, and, and that's in 84 innings. I mean, Parker Messick is the best guy going. So if Florida State wins that game, and frankly, Maybe. if you're an Ole Miss fan, I think you're pulling for Florida State to win that game because I think whoever Florida State throws in game two – is a better matchup for Ole Miss than facing Walker Powell in game two. It'll be a kid named Bryce Hubbard without a shadow of a doubt. I think you're dead on with that. It's like, right, you want Messick to throw game one, he is. And if Florida State wins that game, you know, Godspeed to Florida State trying to match up with Doug Nikhazy with Bryce Hubbard. The thing with, like, the Walker Powell thing, I think it would be more like Walker Powell gives up three, four runs in five and a third innings and gives Southern Miss a chance, right? To where it's like Bryce Hubbard well, is – I just don't think they have a chance, to be honest. And, look, to, to me, here's best-case scenario for Ole Miss. So, Southern Miss is going to start Hunter Stanley in game one, and he has been just great. 242 ERA. His whip is .89. He's got 119 strikeouts uh, and 16 walks on the year, and opponents are hitting 198 against him. What Ole Miss doesn't need is for Hunter Stanley to go eight innings or throw a complete game. They need Hunter Stanley to go six innings and be good, and then Ryan Ock throw three innings out of the bullpen. That's what you're cheering for if you're Ole Miss in game one in the Florida State-Southern Miss matchup. Regardless of whether who wins that game, I think Ole Miss wants to see Ryan Ock have to throw high leverage, relatively long outing in game one. Because after Ock – and those first two starters, Hunter Stanley and Walker Powell, things kind of drop off for Southern Miss a little bit. The bullet. They've got some other guys that, are, that are, are good and that put up good numbers. But those are the best three guys. Hunter Stanley, Conference USA Pitcher of the Year. Uh, no, that's not right. Arguably should have been the Conference USA Pitcher of the Year. Walker Powell, Conference USA Pitcher of the Year, had a no-hitter, 
five complete games. He threw the seven-inning game. The first game of the doubleheader on Saturdays, he was their seven-inning guy. Five complete games this year. You don't want them to be able to go Walker Powell for six and two-thirds or seven and a third, and then they hand it off to Ryan Ock, whose numbers are off the charts good. You want Hunter Stanley to go five innings and then them hand it off to Ryan Ock and have him trying to finish off Florida State because then if you're able to get past Walker Powell, where do they go in the bullpen after that? Could not agree more, and that's why they're a two or a three seed because they don't have that type of depth. I have kept you for almost two hours. I think I said like 45 minutes when we got here. So, uh, you know, I mean, I've never been one to not lie to you. You probably expected that coming in, right? Hey, are you still rocking the uh, – have your parents allowed you to uh, take the Land Cruiser to Dallas? The uh, the hunting camp vehicle? I think you – when your vehicle – when your forerunner went into the shop, you upgraded going to the Land Cruiser. Okay. So, I don't hate this theory. You know what? And while we're throwing – while we're throwing bullets out left and right, I'll just throw this one out here. The other day I went to work, had on some gray suit pants, didn't have a lot to match it. Please tell me you didn't wear a zipper golf shirt. The black Under Armour zipper golf shirt. Honestly, I went with the zipper shirt, the zipper Under Armour shirt, and they're like, damn, this kid has sex. That was the theme throughout the office all day. It was like, we shouldn't – look at that zipper. They were like, shit, we should not mess with this kid ever. No, no, to, to, to take your point of uh, question, uh, uh, a step farther, the question is, okay, maybe he does, but with whom? They were like – Damn, this kid has a zipper, and I'm like, yeah, sorry, corporate America. You got another thing coming. <sighs> Would you please throw that shirt away? No, I won't. As soon as it starts – soon as it Does your soon-to-be wife like that golf shirt? <laughs> she does it, but it's only because you guys brought it out in the radio segment. She had never noticed it before, and she was like, damn, that zipper is for dweebs. How's MC doing? She's – she's great she's great until i didn't tell her i wore that zipper shirt the other day so everything's everything's been good on that front until uh, my fashion well here's the good news if we've been talking for two hours there's no way she's making it through an entire two hours in the podcast no she doesn't listen to our podcast she just reaps the benefits of it <laughs> since you sold your company exactly it was a three-figure deal not to brag um <laughs> well, if you, if you sold the company, maybe you can afford to buy a diamond ring now, bud. I mean, let's just be real. You're not going to do any better. Buy the damn ring. Okay, well, you know what? Well, we'll appreciate this advice. We'll see how this goes on the message board. I was how, does Mama, out- how does Mama Rippy feel about this, by the way? Has she threatened to sue anybody that you work with currently? No, because no one has forced Pringles down my throat. Um, so uh, he's I mean, not threatening to sue anyone. If someone starts yeah. to make me eat grease or something, we could might have a problem on our hands. You know, when, when, when you get into the business of, uh, writing, what, what's the, the deal about when, when your alligator my, mouth writes checks that your hummingbird ass can't cash? Look, I'm just saying y'all could have used me during the pandemic. I could have eaten all kinds of weird shit. You thought Pring- Pringles was just the start. You, you you've seen the cicada stories. I have. You, I if you don't have a shellfish, if you have a shellfish allergy, don't eat cicadas. I would have glad. Hey, you love this on the show today. Hey, hey, dad was like, yeah, something about circadian rhythm. I was like, uh, you mean circadian rhythm? And he's like, no, I'm pretty sure it's circadian rhythm. I was like, Google is your friend. Hey, dad, I think there's an R in the word. He was talking about sleep patterns 
and trying to uh, somehow tie it to uh, the uh, um, the insects that come out of the ground every few years. What was his deal with the Missouri basketball coach? I think he called him Keensay Martin. <laughs> Quanzo. He was a big Quanzo guy. It's like, dude, just pronounce his name right. It's Conzo. He's like, whatever. This is going to make me delirious. I appreciate what, your what, what did you and Hey Dad talk about? What? Oh, Hey Dad, we spent 20 minutes talking about poop jokes. Gosh, y'all are so awesome. still in eighth grade. <laughs> no, I asked him about some state baseball. I asked him about his new podcast. Not new podcast. I asked him about his podcast. You know, all kinds of stuff. I don't know. Hey, Dad can get the conversation rolling. All right, I appreciate the time. As always, this was a lot of fun. I kept you an hour. I told you I'd keep you an hour. I think we went almost. No, you said 45 minutes. You're right. I said 45 minutes. But, I mean, what it, me lying to you, is that a new thing? Sorry, lying, exaggerating. I like the word exaggerating better. Mm-hmm. I appreciate it as always. Best of success. We need to do this again soon. Well, it, it either went exceptionally well and lots of people listened or it didn't go well and nobody listened, and that'll probably determine whether you invite me back. All right. That was Richard. I appreciate his time. As always, it was good catching up with an old pal. I thought that conversation was really interesting just from the broadcast stuff and kind of how they navigated a show, particularly like post my departure, because it kind of looked like before I left, uh, we were kind of in the clear of this thing, and then it kind of got a little worse, and then we ended up having football. I just thought that perspective was really interesting. So without further ado, let's now rip to Grill Corner with Greg. Talked about some different barbecue sauces, best way to cook a tri-tip on a pellet-type grill, and some other things, and got into some horse racing at the end. So that'll be the end of the podcast at the end of this interview. So now let's go to Grill Corner with Greg. All right, we now welcome on the man himself. He needs no introduction. Greg, the Meat Sharp Jones. This is another edition of Grill Corner. We'll also get into the Belmont. Uh, it's maybe some steroids. Greg's latest uh, horse ventures. What's up, dude? Oh, man, uh, since we're recording in the morning, uh, we should say good morning to everybody. Yeah, absolutely. That is. That's very true. Good morning. Uh, no, the different types of beverages in the hand this morning. I got a coffee. I think you have a biscuit. Uh, yep. so just got done, just got done with the biscuit. And now I've got the, um, I do a, uh, the cappuccino half, um, the coffee, um, uh, set up, uh, at the gas, at the local gas station. I like that. I was hoping you'd be like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. I have a 40 in my hand right now at 7am. Yeah. Well, I was just trying to, uh, be, you know, uh, very proper on the podcast, but, uh, I might have, uh, something in the coffee also. Miller Highlight 40. Uh, let's, uh, let's, See, we got some grilled corner questions to get to. Uh, I was pleased at the response to questions. You know, sometimes we're having to beg people to ask questions regarding grilling. We got some really, uh, we got some really good ones this week. Before we get to that, though, what's been up? Uh, you've been on – no, you have not been on since you went to the horse sale at the Preakness. How is the uh, – we'll get to it a little bit later as well, but uh, what's been happening on the horse front? Oh, man, we've uh, – I went up to Maryland and uh, did the Timonium sale and uh, – that was uh, that was an experience. Uh, so the uh, Ocala cell, they have a lot of dirt and grass everywhere. In the uh, Timonium cell in Maryland, it's all concrete. So uh, uh, had to had to ice the shins down after walking the concrete for forty eight hours. But other than that, I was back on the track in uh, in in no time. So it was a good. It was really good. Uh, first time in Maryland, and uh, it was an experience. So yeah, it was a really good time. And then. Um, Monday, I had three horses run, and I had three horses win. So, uh, that's always a really good feeling. 
Yeah, that seems like that's a pretty good ratio. So three horses and three wins, that adds up to 100%? Yeah, I would, I would think that's right at 100%. So, um, you know, and I was just, um, you know, everybody's all curious of how, you know, you get into the horse racing. And uh, whenever I started, I just uh, was just trying to make contact with uh, different syndicates and everything like that. And I had one syndicate that sent me an email about a horse and uh the horse's name was big bobby and my mom's brother's name was uh bob harrison and he was the only uh player on the Ole Miss football team from rankin county and uh he passed away and just you know i kind of was like hey i gotta you know buy this for my mom you know because it's big bobby and big um bob harrison was a big man they uh his nickname was called uh buttermilk he never drank any alcohol and that's can that's uh unbelievable for somebody that lives in oxford mississippi so he looked like mr clean uh when uh, he was about had about a 30 inch waist and he was about six foot three 225 pounds so uh you can only imagine what um bob harrison looked like so i was always scared of uh, my uncle bobby so uh anyway long story short uh end up buying the horse and uh he uh one one is a maiden special, a, a New York bred last uh, Monday, and it was uh, it's kind of cool. Me and my mom got to watch the race together, and uh, just kind of a cool little experience. That is cool. That's awesome. I uh, what was your suggestion? You had a suggestion on the internet like a week ago. What we were gonna name a horse? Oh, uh, 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 Elko. Yes, I kind of like that Elko Bob. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, like uh, you know. Uh, you know, it's kind of what what the horse and thing brings brings together. You know, you might, um, you know, with with the with the example with Big Bobby. You know, uh, I have a friend that they norm named a horse uh, after their uncle JD who passed away, and it was the horse was named by Blame. So it literally, they named the horse Blame JD. So uh, just kind of cool stuff like that that you know kind of draws you in. But uh, yeah, I I'm a big Tim Elko fan and. Uh, you know, he's a, he's a role model that, you know, these kids should look at, you know, somebody that's not selfish, that, you know, is a really good teammate and, uh, you know, is willing to do anything for, uh, for the team. Um, you know, unlike somebody like LeBron James leaving at the five minutes to go in the fourth quarter, or you look at Kyrie Irving and, uh, you know, makes a point to go out and step on the, you know, Boston Celtic, you know, logo, you know, that's, that's not role model stuff. So, uh, you know, it's just cool to, just to cool to, you know, be a part of something like that. And, and you never know, we might name a um, horse Elko Bomb. Elko can't be stomping on stuff either because he can't risk the other ACL. You know, if, if he yeah. hits a home run with zero ACLs, then you really might have to name the store after him. El, yeah. El Elko? LB, LB, LB's Elko. Yeah, I like that. Uh, <laughs> speaking of, let's get into the questions. Anything, uh, I know you're busy. You're feeding the teams this week. It's regional week told me you fed Florida State. Did you feed SEMO? What's going on on the uh, food front? Yeah, we, uh, we've got Florida State. I think we fed, we fed them Wednesday, Thursday, and then today we're feeding SEMO uh, sandwiches before their game, Florida State post-game, and then Ole Miss post-game. So, um, so, yeah, uh, you know, feeding baseball teams and um, providing everybody with the best steaks in the, in the town. It's a, uh, it's a hard job, but you know, somebody's got to do it. You stock up on laxatives for, uh, for one of the teams. <laughs> no, I didn't, man. I, uh, I, I, you know, uh, the Florida state guy literally came by the store yesterday and 
like personally thanked us for everything and i was like man it was like that's what we do man but we you know we appreciate it so i try not to tell uh all the florida state fans that i know chris malloy real uh real well so i don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing that i know malloy real well Malloy's had a big week. He's back recruiting. He flew out to Arizona to see the national title series. Uh, uh, Malloy's gone global. Let's uh, – yeah. all right, let's roll into these questions because we got some good ones that really piqued my interest as well. And as you know, I'm an idiot when it comes to grilling. But let's, uh, let's roll with it. Uh, you actually responded. Great question. This one, buddy of mine, Craig Howard Kirkland asked, Alabama white sauce, Carolina sauce, or Kansas City barbecue sauce? Uh, I'll preface it with this. When he, when he kind of mentioned that, so Alabama white barbecue sauce, are the other two brown? Uh, no, the, uh, the Carolina, yeah, the Carolina is going to be more of a vinegary, uh, type of a sauce. So it's going to be kind of like a, not a thick sauce. It's almost kind of like a, 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 a light runny barbecue sauce. Okay. So, the, but these are all white based. Hey, I think he's asking which one's your favorite, but just for, for the dummies out there like me. So I worked at Nukes, uh, nine times self-proclaimed employee of the month, not to brag, not a big deal. What's, uh, yeah. I, I saw that on your profile on, on your Twitter page. That's, that's always a good feather to have on your cap. Yeah, when I was sending out feelers trying to get a job after the Super Talk thing tanked, uh, that was at the top of the resume. What's Yeah, uh, congratu uh, congratulations on getting with Neil and, and Chase. That's awesome. So I appreciate that. I owe, uh, are we, we going to have like 12 people listening to the, to the podcast now instead of five? Yeah, something like that. The other six oh, are man. out there being like, what are these guys talking about? This is the first time I've ever heard them speak, and I'm never hearing them talk again. So for at least one episode, we'll get 12, which is pretty good if you ask me. Hey, I, I have to agree. <laughs> but, uh, in all seriousness, I have to thank a lot of people out there, including you, dude. You helped me grow this. Um, you believed it in the beginning. I really appreciate it. I was really pumped about it. And you know I appreciate it, as always. For um, sure. The barbecue but, sauce, I mean, there's a lot of like, – so that barbecue sauce that you served at Nukes, that is just kind of like a, just a traditional, um, you know, longhorn. Yeah. So the white, so the white barbecue sauce is a mayonnaise bar baked based barbecue sauce. So they make that barbecue sauce out of base out of mayonnaise. So uh, it's just a it's just a white barbecue sauce. So I, I I'm a big fan. Uh, we sell a, the Bootsy's uh, white barbecue. Uh, it's a really good one. The, uh, the, the, the Carolina is more of a vinegar type sauce. And then, uh, what was the other sauce? Their traditional St. Louis style. So Kansas city, is that another white one? Yeah. No, Kansas city is just your traditional, uh, thick barbecue okay. sauce. Kind of okay. like, you know, the craft or the sweet baby rays, that sort of thing. So, um, just kind of three different, three different kind of textures. The white barbecue sauce is a mayonnaise barbecue sauce. The, the Carolina is going to be a vinegary, you know, kind of almost like a mop, mopping style barbecue. And then the uh, just the traditional Kansas City is kind of like the KC masterpiece or that long, you know, that's the, the stuff that you get uh, to dip your chicken uh, tenders in, that kind of style. Yeah, so I don't know. What do you prefer? I'll just go to my power rankings now that you explained it to me. I, I've obviously had all three of these. I think I'll just go to the traditional Kansas City, and then I like the barbecue sauce. I'm not a big vinegar-based barbecue sauce guy. Uh, I say that like I'm some kind of Bobby Flay-type character. The way you explained it to me made sense. I've definitely had it. That's definitely my least favorite. What's kind of the order for you? Yeah, I mean, you know, that white barbecue sauce is really good on chicken, like smoke a bunch of chicken. And, and uh, uh, it, I like the white barbecue sauce with, with, uh, with like, smoked chicken. You know, the vinegar-based sauce is on – I like it, 
uh, you know, man, I, I, I like vinegar base, but you know, like you were saying, it's uh, whoever it's whoever the person is that's kind of react to the barbecue sauce. So uh, I would say I like the, uh, oh, man, I, I mean, it's just so hard to go against traditional uh, barbecue sauce. Uh, uh, there's so many good different types of traditional barbecue sauces out there. There's a hot, there's a medium, there's a mild. So, um, man, I just like the traditional Kansas City. And then I'd probably do uh, the Carolina, the Carolina, and then the white barbecue sauce, just because I just like it on uh, chicken. I've never had it on ribs or anything, so I probably need to venture out and try. Yeah, actually, it's funny you mentioned that talking about the Alabama barbecue sauce being really good on chicken. When my girlfriend used to live in New Orleans, and I took her out to dinner one time at this restaurant called Pesh, which I think is somewhere around the French Quarter. I'm sure other people listening out there have been to it. It's it's a pretty like popular spot. But one of the best dishes I had there was literally just, it was chicken, obviously kind of like nicely done chicken with white barbecue sauce on a stick. And I was like, this is literally just a nuke's cue without the bread on a stick, but it was fantastic. You really can't go wrong with that. Yeah, so the white barbecue sauce is basically like the Q sauce. That's basically what white barbecue sauce is. I got so yeah, I mean, white, <laughs> that Q sauce is, uh, is kind of secret. You got to like, uh give uh nukes the password that you know about the the q sauce so that you can get it on the side or something yeah i know i, I signed an nda and a non-compete when i left there so i can't be giving out any secrets um let's see that's where that's why where you are today exactly uh, mr uh mr big shot let's could the omaha burgers come back josh baggett's at josh baggett um, he asks well, if there's a particular baseball team that lives in a particular town in Mississippi that goes to Omaha and play uh, play in the uh, World Series, I would think that would be a yes. Uh, but what are the Omaha Burgers for those that don't know? The Omaha Burger was uh, whenever we were doing lunch a lot. Uh, we had a uh, fillet burger, a smoky bacon burger, and then a house burger, and uh, just wanted to change it up. So literally, I did a. Um, filet burger and i put philly cheesesteak on top of it so it's basically Ooh. two sandwiches in one so uh so yeah it's basically a philly cheesesteak uh with uh, a filet burger and uh dressed however you want so we used to do a bunch of crazy stuff i used to, we uh we had a cook back in the day called fred and um it would be called fred's way and uh you know, it just depends on what kind of Fred I uh, had a mood in, but it would used to be consist of uh, a hamburger with uh, mac and cheese, barbecue, uh, some baked beans, some sauce. I mean, it was just this big colossal uh, burger just stacked up. So Fred's Way used to be uh, away at LB's. The the original people that uh, that uh, came into LB's knows, know about Fred's Way. So it's almost kind of like a Fred's Way. Oh, so if you walk in there and ask for the Fred's way, you, uh, you, it's not your first trip in the store. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, uh, you, you, you've known about LB since 2012. So uh, that's, uh, that's, that's a pretty long time ago now that we think about it. That is a long time ago. I was still in high school. Uh, so not to, not, to, not to make anyone feel old out there. That's uh, pretty nuts. Let's, uh, let's see. What else do we have? Brad Logan, beginning to end, asks – or excuse me, he asked beginning to end – Recommendations on his opinion of perfect baby back ribs. Well, um, my thing with baby back ribs was uh, if I, when I uh, was cooking plate lunches and everything, I only had about, I'd get to the store at about 8, 8.15, and I had to have food ready 
by 11 o'clock. So I kind of, you know, cheated a little bit on my ribs, but I'll give you the quick way to knock out some ribs. So what I usually do is I season the ribs and put them in the oven and just bake them at 250 for about an hour or so just to kind of get some temperature on them. And then uh, I finish them off on the smoker to where they get some smoke feel to it. So, of course, if you had three hours and uh, you had time, I would just put them on a smoker at 200 degrees and just let them roll. And then after the, the uh, two hours, uh, take them off and just kind of, you know, mop them up with your favorite barbecue sauce or whatever you want to do. And then put them back on there to smoke them for about an hour more. So if you have time, you know, the three hours at 200 degrees is going to be your best shot. But if you don't have time, I usually just fit, uh, put them in the oven, kind of zap them a little bit and then finish them off on the smoker. Here's a stupid question. What's the difference between baby back ribs and normal ribs? So, uh, well, there's no such thing as normal ribs. Uh, there, there's a uh, spare rib, which a spare rib is the whole rib. And what we do is we take the top part off, which is going to be called where you get your rib tips. That's going to be the St. Louis style rib is a spare rib trim. Baby back ribs are just as uh the short loin on the pig. So those don't need trim at all. They're just a smaller bone and less meat. I got you. I mean, I did preface it that it was a stupid question. You just didn't know what was coming next. No, no, no. We're, 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 there, there's no stupid question around these parts. I would contest that. I might try to make you change your mind by the end of this podcast. What uh, So is, is if you're doing ribs, like and obviously the, the brisket and like the smoking type stuff takes a while and that's kind of a day out of it. Where does, where do ribs, if you want to do them, I guess, the right way, uh, where does that kind of fall in terms of, like, the time consumption and what it takes out of your day? Like, is it more in a bit, or can you make ribs at night? Like, how, how does that work, the prep process start to I mean, like, three uh, – so brisket, usually – I usually uh, cook my brisket for 10 to 12 hours. Ribs, you know, if you have time and you have, um, uh, you know, t- uh, the uh, – the time frame to, ha- uh, to handle everything, you usually, you know, take about three hours on ribs. So, um, you know, with me throwing them in the oven for 250 degrees for an hour kind of advances that process by like a solid 45 minutes. So it's really not, you know, cutting too much of a corner. But, uh, but yeah, if you have uh, time, go for a good solid three hours at 200 degrees for ribs. Bishop Davis asks, what's the best way to smoke tri-tip and then he asked, preferably on a pellet grill. Did I say that right, or is that pellet? Yeah, that yeah, that's, the, yeah that's the Traeger. Yeah, that's kind of the Traeger grill. Um, you know, the, the, the best thing on, on tri-tips is you just got to trust your meat thermometer. This is the, th- uh, the piece of the cut that you uh, sous vide, Riffy, and then put it on the grill. Right. No, I, knew, I remember tri-tip, and I know what a Traeger is because uh, MC's dad had one when I was there as well, and you kind of explained to me the difference between that like your traditional grill. Um, so, yeah, I remember this. Yeah, so it's, this is just a low and slow and trust your meat thermometer thing. Uh, what I usually do is I kind of put the, the grill on 500 degrees and then just get it as hot as possible and then char it on each side to get it to like 100 degrees or 99 or 90 degrees and then turn your uh your your temperature down and low and slow it until it gets to the proper meat to mouth temperature you like some people like it 125 some people like it 135 
you know, I just prefer to undercook my meat because you can't go back once it's been, you know, overcooked. So with that being said, there's a lot of different ways to cook a uh, tri-tip and smoke a tri-tip. I just like to go that high temperature first and get a really good char on each side and then turn around and, lo and low and slow it until it gets to 125. And so we sue, no, we didn't. Yeah, we sous vide the tri-tip, if I'm not mistaken, that day out there. And I, it's interesting to talk about the tri-tip. There's like, no, excuse me, the sous vide. There's no real way to mess it up to where I imagine if you're putting it on a grill, there probably is more room for error. Yeah, I mean, you know, with the tri-tip, whenever you sous vide, you're uh, sous vide it to a particular internal temperature. So if you're sous vide in a tri-tip, you literally sous vide, and I usually, I would put it on 110 or 115, to where you know that meat is being cooked at 110 to 115 degrees. So when all you gotta do is whenever it's cooked at 115 to 110, you turn around and you need to cook it for 20 to more internal temperature degrees. So that means probably what, five minutes on each side, super hot and you're there. So the sous vide is just something that, you know, just uh, you know where, what the meat is at, at the temperature that you set your sous vide at. That makes sense. The next one we had was, I don't even know if this, no, this is definitely not a cooking question. Uh, how do you stop the meat sweats and the heartburn? Don't get old? <laughs> well, uh, that's, that's from uh, my buddy Dan, uh, who uh, his racing syndicate is uh, called Designated Hitters. And we were kind of wanting to name horses, you know, uh, with baseball terms and stuff like that. So uh, long story short, we have a horse named Heartburn and we have a horse named Meat Sweats. So uh, kind of did the complete opposite of naming horses after baseball references and to uh, uh, <laughs> stuff that, uh, stuff that uh, you can't really handle, you know, uh, not everybody can handle Heartburn and in the meat sweats, but if uh, if I had the meat sweats and I had heartburn, I usually go with a uh, a glass of uh, ginger ale. Okay, that's uh that was nice little answer worked into a facetious question. Uh, that was a uh, that was that's why you're a pro. Just curious. So if you name the horse meat sweats when it's done racing, you have to overfeed it and make it fat, right? You can't have a skin. yeah. I mean, you know, in all in all honestly, you know, whenever we name meat sweats, uh, she's a what she which is, uh, I feel bad because, you know, I don't think many girls would appreciate be co being called meat sweats. So uh, I want to apologize to the Tamarcus uh, Philly that uh, named me meat sweats in general. But uh, no, uh, it's, uh, <laughs> uh, it's not an ideal Philly name, but, um, you know, it just, it's, it's really hard to name a horse. I mean, it, it really is. I mean, you know, because um you know you, you have to have either a story behind it or something you know so the story behind meat sweats was um you know I, they'd been wanting me to send them a care package and i finally sent them a care package and i told them i said you know just you know uh cook whatever you you want to cook now and then put the rest in the freezer well they end up cooking everything and they tagged me in a, in a post and with all the picture of everything that they cooked and they said you know thanks to Thanks to Greg and LB's Meat Market, you know, for the care package. You know, we all have the meat sweats. So, I mean, that's kind of how the horse name came about. So, that's why we call them horse meat sweats. I bet the horse will accept your apology. The, ne the next question. I mean, <laughs> I, I pay for our food, you know. So, you know, this, 
I, I would hope she would, you know, uh, appreciate me. Yeah, this is uh, – yeah, she got a pretty sweet deal out of that. I didn't think about it that way. We got a really good one. I think this might be our last Grill Corner question. I'm trying to find it because it was sent via text message, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, actually, I thought this was really interesting because I know a lot of guys my age in particular or around my age, maybe a little younger now, run into this in their first apartment post, like, uh, college life. What's Greg's recommendation for cooking a steak when your new apartment won't let you have your own grill? Well, I mean, you know, uh, I prefer to cook my steaks in a cast iron skillet. Uh, that's probably needs to be your first really good purchase once you get out of college is a really good cooking cast iron skillet. Uh, you can do so many things in a cast iron skillet. Uh, it's very versatile. Uh, but with that being said, I would get you a, uh, a cast iron skillet, uh, saute some butter, and uh, get the skillet really hot to where it's smoking and literally just put it on the cast iron skillet. I don't know how you like your meat, but I prefer more rare to medium rare. And what I usually do is get that cast iron skillet scalded and hot and just sear it on each side for about two or three minutes, depending on how hot your skillet gets. Preheat your oven to about 350, 300, or whatever you feel comfortable with. Just throw it in the oven and finish it off. Or what you can do is the complete opposite. You can put it in the oven, preheat or pre-cook your steak for to about internal temperature of 100, and then char it on each side for two minutes. So uh, you don't necessarily need a grill to cook a good steak, but you need a really good cast iron skillet. Good answer. My uh, Mine was a little simpler, is get a grill anyway and tell them to shove it. Yeah, I mean, you know, it is what it is, you know, and uh, uh, but, uh, you know, there's no, nothing that beats that good grill char on the on steak. Uh, I mean, but with that being said, you can cook a steak without the grill and just get you a good cast iron skillet. We, uh, I lied. I think we had one more grill question. I think we've gotten one of the similar one of these in the past, but he asks, uh, do, how often have you experimented with grilling pizza and what's that process like? Pizza? Yes. On a grill? Is that a thing? No, that's, that's a green egg thing. Um, cause they've got that plate, uh, that you can set a uh, pizza on. Um, man, I, I've, uh, worked at the original, uh, old Venice in Jackson, Mississippi for about four years. So I know, uh, a little bit about pizza here and there, but, uh, you know, just, uh, it can go a lot of different ways. All you want to do is basically you want to cook your pizza at a consistent temperature. If you have a, uh, that green egg and, you can put it at 350 degrees and let it hold at 350 degrees, you're good to go. Uh, you just don't want an influctuation of temperatures whenever you're cooking a pizza. That's why on the conveyor pizza conveyor belt, you literally put it on the pizza and it rolls down the conveyor belt and that in that oven is a consistent temperature. So uh, just want to make sure your temperature is consistent on your green egg or your Traeger or whatnot and get you, you know, uh, dress it up however you want. I'm a big fan of uh, cream cheese and uh, crawfish tails and some uh, some bell peppers and some tiger sauce on the pizza. Really good. That sounds really good. I'll try that the next time I pop in a DiGiorno. The, yeah, for sure. That's my... <laughs> or or what my mom, my mom likes to do is she likes to take our uh, cream cheese and ribeye sausage that we stuff the mushrooms in and she likes to put it on top of a uh, DiGiorno, a pepperoni uh, DiGiorno. And so you can only imagine how good that is. 
my mom's going to make you teach me how to cook at some point, uh, whether it kills her or not. Uh, so with, with each and each podcast and every library meetup, we're just getting closer and closer to me putting on a uh, chef's hat. For sure. Let's, uh, or, at least, or at least take a picture of you wearing a chef hat. Yeah, exactly. Just ambush with a random selfie like she tends to do to us. Uh, meat shop <laughs> owners throughout Oxford. The, uh, that was all the grill questions we had. I appreciate everyone participating in that. Before we get out of here, we have the Belmont. Is that this weekend or next weekend? No, it's this weekend. It's actually tomorrow. The floor is yours, my friend. Give us your Belmont preview just like you did the Preakness. Yeah, well, um, I will start out with, uh, you know, uh, Belmont Day is just not one race. Uh, it's uh, one race of many races. And uh, so you just don't go to uh, Belmont Park and just wait for the Belmont Stakes to run. So they've got uh, an 11, car, uh, 11 race card field. So uh, you basically go and have a good time and uh, watch a bunch of really good races. You know, with that being said, the uh, race three is called the Woody Stevens. It's a G1 race, and it's a pretty good race. There's a lot of really good races on this race card. I'll just make it short and sweet. Race three, you're going to have Jackie's Warrior, Drain the, Crop, Drain the Clock, Dream Shake, and Cardio River. That's going to be a really good matchup. Jackie's Warrior is supposedly back. Uh, he's won his last race, and uh, he's a good horse. So uh, just going to be a... Good race. Uh, Cardio River uh, ran against um, Concert Tour in the Arkansas Derby and uh, kind of went on a little speed chase together and uh, Super Saver ended up closing them. So um, I like Cardio River on this race. Uh, don't be a surprise if Jackie, Jackie's Warrior wins this race. Also, race seven is uh, your favorite horse is running, was running in it, Swiss Skydiver. Ooh, she ended I do up like having that. A, she ended up having – I checked Twitter this morning, and uh, she had a 102-degree temperature, so they had to scratch her. So, with that being said, it's still a really, really good race. Latruska is in that race. Uh, Latruska is coming off a, a victory against Monomoy Girl, which is uh, – Monomoy Girl is a really good horse. And then um, She Dares the Devil is in this race also. Uh, love She Dares the Devil. Um, she is a – Good one, and a uh, long shot in that race is I like Bonnie South. Um, um, just with Swiss Skydiver and uh, out of the race, I think uh, it's going to be a uh, closer race, and maybe Bonnie, Smell Bonnie South might get there. The uh, race nine is, a, is another really good race. Um, Nick's go, uh, just a solid horse, and uh, just uh, can't wait to uh, watch Nick's go run again. Uh, it should be a good race. By My Standards is in that race also, and uh, Dr. Post is a really good uh, horse in this race also, and Mischievous Alex is also. Uh, so kind of like Mischievous Alex in this race, but Nick's go is just really, really solid horse and uh, going to be tough to beat in that race. Uh, race 10, the race before the Belmont, um, is a G1. It's uh, called the Manhattan. And uh, Colonel Liam is in this race. And also in this race is domestic spending. These two finished first. They tied the last time they raced. I know you might not think, how, do you, how does a horse race tie? They literally hit the wire at the same time. So they both won. How so, close does that have to be to literally not be able to determine anything? I mean, it's literally there. I mean, you know, if, if one of the horses had stuck his tongue out, 
it would have it would have beat the other horse by a tongue. So that's how close that was. But literally, the photo finish picture is literally their noses together. You know, uh, you know, one was on the top of the lane, one was the bottom of the lane. They literally finished at the line together. So uh, this is a little rematch of the you know of the last race they raced together where they tied. So it should be a, uh, another really good race. Somebody that's really sneaky in that race in race 10 that I like is Gufo. He's, uh, he's sneaky good. So who knows? Uh, but Colonel Liam is a really, really good horse. Uh, I think he's won his last, well, tied his last race, but uh, should be a really good race before the Belmont. And then, of course, race 11 is the Belmont. And, uh, man, um, I, I, I picked Ron Bauer. Whenever I saw him uh, almost come out of his skin, head in the paddock before the uh, Preakness. And, uh, you know, that's something that you look for. You know, I know a lot of people wouldn't notice, you know, or, or that sort of thing. But uh, Rambauer looked like he was ready to go in the Preakness. And obviously he was ready to go because he won uh, running away. So uh, essential quality is in this ra uh, race. I love essential quality. You know, I think that. Uh, just kind of him and Hot Rod Charlie just kind of ran out of room on Medina Spirit and the Kentucky Derby. Obviously, Medina Spirit uh, kind of got busted for doing a bunch of drugs. So, you know, Medina Spirit didn't do drugs. You know, the trainer did it. So, uh, with that being said, uh, you know, we'll just throw that Kentucky Derby race out. But it should be a really good race. I like Rock Your World. It really didn't have a good uh, Kentucky Derby, and he's come back in good order. So. With that being said, it's just really tough to call it on the Kentucky Derby. I just say I, I like Hot Rod Charlie. I think, you know, he's a really solid horse up and down, but there's going to be solid four horses that you just can bet on all four and just let them run. Them run. Essential quality, Ron Bauer, Hot Rod Charlie, Rock Your World. I know that's a bunch of chalk, and uh, it is what it is. You know, good, uh, good horses uh, come to the front. So should be a really good race, and I highly, highly recommend you watch there you go. There you have it. Go uh, put your money on it at your favorite bookie or sports site. And if Greg's picks are wrong, he said he'd refund you each one. Each yeah, one. or you know, or give you a a, a rippy special. Exactly. So the uh, so uh, two follow up questions I had before I let you get out of here. What were your thoughts on the whole Baffert suspension thing? You know, I'm not in tune to the horse racing deal, but seeing some of these horse, I don't know if you call them companies, but like owners and whatever and racetracks put out statements. Uh, it seemed like some people kind of not took pleasure in it, but was like, finally, someone did something about this. Is that kind of the vibe? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, it's not like this is his first time. You know, it'd be different if this was his first time. But this is, you know, over his, his almost fourth to fifth time. Uh, what's really messed up with the horse industry is there's other trainers that are just as bad as Bob Bath. There's other trainers that are suspended from particular tracks that are running at other tracks. Uh, you know, it just is what it is. Uh, they just, you know, I hate to say it, you know, they need to come up with a no fly, fly, fly list, but they really do, you know, and they just need to uh, consider the horses first um, because, you know, these trainers are, you know, in the care of the horses. So, I mean, you know, so uh, if, a, if a trainer is, uh, I mean, the thing with Bob Afford is he has chemists on staff. He pays chemists, doesn't pay horsemen. So, I mean, like, that should give you the first red flag about Bob Baffert. But, yeah, I'm just, uh, you know, they just need to tidy up the sport. You know, uh, they've had so many people 
uh, watching the sport and, you know, so many people that have uh, been drawn to the sport, you know, with the whole COVID thing, because at one point, uh, you know, the horses were the only thing that were running. So um, got a lot of eyes on the industry and just not a lot of new eyes and just, you know, kind of need to clean it up. Yeah, so you're telling me the guy that employs pit chemists had a horse with hot piss. Who would have thought about that? That's a big shocker. The uh, last thing I had for you, what's under the overlap in terms of horses that run in the Belmont versus the other two? Do you kind of get the same core group of horses? What's kind of the turnover like between races? Well, I mean, you know, uh, that's probably why the Triple Crown is kind of one of the most hardest things to do. And uh, it's funny that the last two Triple Crown winners are Bob Baffert horses. So, uh, with that being said, you know, the, uh, the Kentucky Derby had 20, in, uh, 20 horses that started out. Uh, I think, trying to think, I think only four or five of the horses that ran in the Kentucky Derby ran in the Preakness. And I think that of the horses that are running in the Belmont, only – uh, Essential Quality ran in the Kentucky Derby. Hot Rod Charlie ran in the Derby. Rocky World ran in the Derby. Ron Bauer did not run in the Kentucky Derby. He ran in the Preakness. So, uh, you know, it's a, it's a tough thing to get because it's a four-week turnaround on everything. So, um, you know, not only does your horse have to be in prime shape because, uh, I mean, it takes a lot out of a horse whenever he runs, you know, for solid two minutes. So, uh, with that being said, yeah, it's kind of funny that the last two Triple Crown winners are Bob Baffert trainees. And uh, with that being said, you know, uh, probably there's a reason why they won it. Check him out. LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. You guys know the drill at this point. Best place in Mississippi to get meat. If you're a subscriber to the Rippy Rights newsletter, you get the deals. Greg threw a curveball at you this week, changed up the deals, giving you $5 off any frozen sausage in addition to your normal 16-ounce prime trip for 10 bucks. He's a man of the people, a horseman. I appreciate it, dude. As always, I am flying into Oxford, uh, probably as most people are listening to this, and we will definitely snag a beer. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think they had uh... – a couple new releases uh, uh, in, the, in, the, in the new book section at the library. So I'm going to have to uh, read a couple books uh, that they just came out with. Absolutely. Good to see you, my friend, or good to talk to you, and I will uh, see you soon. Greg, appreciate Sounds it. Good. As always, man, y'all be careful and have a good weekend. Everybody have a safe and happy weekend. Enjoy the regional wherever you may be watching it, and we will catch you on Monday.